This episode's guest is David Gray from David Gray Rehab. On this episode, David and I discussed many topics, including David's background, what is David's model, assessment, prescription of split squats, Franz Bosch's influence on David, David's learning process, the biggest lessons David has learned so far in his life, business advice, what does David do to unwind, what does David's typical day look like, David's top resources for coaches and rehabilitation specialists. If David could spend a week learning from three individuals, who would he choose to learn from and why? And finally, what's next for David Great Rehab? Guys, this was a great discussion with David, and I hope you really enjoy it. David, thanks so much for making time. I really appreciate it. It's, it's always great to have a fellow Irishman on the podcast. You're welcome, Robbie. Uh, thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to the chat. Good man, good man. So uh, as I said, just before we hopped on, like I'm actually really fascinated to to find out a bit more of your background because uh, like we discussed before we hopped on, we seem to have similar backgrounds just in terms of our initial education in terms of the re- rehabilitation field anyway. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, tell us more about your background. Um, so like, I suppose I was a GA player always all my life. Played a bit of soccer, rugby, a little bit of everything growing up. And um took Gaelic football and hurling more and more seriously and took it very seriously. It was a big part of my life, like in my late teens and early twenties. And I kept getting injured. Um, and like, I was just getting frustrated with the, you know, with the care I was receiving and looking back, some of that is my fault as well. Just maybe just getting, was trying to like, because I was curious about the body and stuff as well. I, was kind of looking into different things and trying to figure things out a little bit for myself and maybe listening to too many people or not listening to the right people or whatever. But overall, looking back, I feel like I just didn't get the care that I would like to offer someone now. Um, and that wasn't for anyone's lack of trying. Like there was lots of great people. Just, just, I think the field has just kind of progressed over the last 10 or 15 years a lot especially especially the rehab side of things I was give, just been given a lot of fluffy stuff to help with my knees my health my hips my Achilles and stuff so um eventually got to a stage when I was about 20 can't remember mid-20s where it was like my knee my patellar tendinopathy my Achilles tendinopathy was so bad that I just had to stop playing and moved abroad for um a few years and all through my 20s like even when I was even when I was quite bad I was like going to different little courses and learning learning online and doing different little things with different people and then I kind of just decided right I'm going to try and sort myself out here and just take this into my own hands a little bit so traveled around a little bit went to loads and loads and loads of courses and just looking at alternative type of things not in a not in a woo-woo way but like I went into a little bit of the martial arts world Chinese martial arts just anyone who I I I anyone who I thought looked like they can move pretty well. And there's some kind of philosophy here around like their it's it, results. Not everyone is getting results, but like there seems to be a system of a lot of the people who do this type of thing seem to move in a certain way. So I went into that kind of world, went into like the Edo portal world, went heavy down the stretching world, but all the time, like was big, big into the SSC. So I never went so far down People talk about rabbit holes and stuff, but I never went so far down a rabbit hole. I don't actually, t- I actually don't think going down a rabbit hole is a bad thing. Um, as long as you're able to like see 
the other holes or the other everything else as well you don't just get stuck down there so um lots of different systems like pri and gary ward anatomy and motion loads of different people like that but like still in the snc world all the time um and then i came back to ireland and wanted to help people out myself i feel like i had spent a while and learned a few things so went and did um nmt course same as yourself and did uh went to satanta as well and um mostly the manual therapy stuff was just to try and figure out actually to be honest if if i'm being brutally honest it was about like just being able to put hands on people so that i could put people on a table and like measure them and stuff like that make sure i have my insurance and stuff I, i wasn't super interested in manual therapy i don't really use it now um i'll use it like very 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 sparingly if i feel like I'm just looking for a small little window to open something up so then I can work on movement. But COVID kind of accelerated that for me because I was working with lots of people online and um, helping them with their little whatever it is, their little issues and stuff like that. And obviously you can't use manual therapy online. So I seem to get as good results online as I was in person, even when I was using a little bit of hands-on or sometimes better results online, maybe because people knew that they weren't going to get manual therapy and they were just like, okay, we're just going to do, we have to do our movement stuff or else this call was a complete waste of time. So, um, so yeah, that accelerated me like moving away from the manual therapy stuff, but I still, it's not that I don't think it's valuable. It's just that I don't really enjoy it that much. And um, now I'm kind of big in the, I kind of moved into the education space a little bit. This is obviously uh, an accelerated version of everything, but um, working working with different people like online and in person. And then we have a membership site where I'm kind of teaching. I don't want to say my methods because everyone has a method and it sounds like a, a funny a funny thing that you're just trying to sell something but it's more like just my view of how of things I suppose and that's a bastardized version of like all these people really smart people that I've learned from over the years uh Dave O'Sullivan actually is someone else I think you've had him on your podcast I should have mentioned there as well so those are really smart people and just kind of I don't think I they would they would all equally kind of disapprove of the way I view things because it's not like they're the way they do things in their system or the way they teach it but I suppose I have a different way to them and everyone has a different eyes to look at things through so now I just yeah working with working with lots of different people educating some some people and um I suppose that's a that's a that's the hardest part of the podcast hopefully over but um yeah just that's been that's been a bit of my journey along the way bad news it's not the hardest part we're yeah. only we're only getting started um just out of curiosity timeline wise like like what was the timeline on that whole process because you you went to australia was it for a while yeah and then you came back to ireland and then like was like and i because i've heard you on another podcast and you know i heard like i heard about your time with Edo and some other movement very people who were in that sort of movement world you were some of those practitioners and then you kind of came into like Gary Ward stuff and then Dave O'Sullivan and, and et cetera. And, and there's, there's obviously more individuals there because I've seen you too credit Franz Bosch with some of his stuff as well. So just mm-hmm. in, in terms of like that timeline, like, like it, it sounds like this was a, you know, it was a bit of a snowball. It kind of like, you just, you kind of went down this one rabbit hole that led to all these other rabbit holes and it mm-hmm. just kind of snowballed very, very fast. So just in a timeline wise, like was this like the start of 2015, 16 or when, when did this whole process start? Uh, good question. My timelines are always a mess. They're all over the place. Um, so let me see. I'm 32 now. Um, so I think I've been home in Ireland about, I've been back home maybe 
four years or so, maybe just over four years. So that's when I started working with people. Um, now, when I was in Australia, I was working with some people but, and stuff and helping people, but they were just friends and stuff. So, um, so that's been going on four years. And then probably for the five years previous to that, I was like studying all different things. So it's probably that eight or nine years of like quite intense learning, to be honest, because I think I have a little bit of an obsessive personality in some ways. So like when I latched on to something, which didn't, didn't, didn't serve me. I, I'm coming out of that a little bit. I think I'm trying to start just trying to, trying to like have more balance with life and everything. Um, but it didn't serve, it served me well in some ways where like it, it's a, it's a good, fast, intense way of learning things, I think. But on the other way, on the other hand, just there was times where I like just thought okay this is the answer to everything and I'm just going to go as far down this as I could and then three months or six months later I'm coming out of that again thinking mm, maybe not but actually I did learn some stuff and then I find something else and I'm like this guy has all the answers or this card has all the answers come back out of that again um so that has a tendency to happen to me so I'm trying to not let that happen to me anymore like definitely I thought that with probably thought that with Gary, probably thought that with Dave, probably thought that with Franz Bosch. And actually I'm realizing that like all of these people have really good lessons to learn. And I encourage people to learn from these people, but um, you, you still want to be able to see what everything else is, what, what, what you know, just everything else, all every what everyone else has to offer. And there is a bit of that in the S&C world, I think where you see all these alter, alternative methods, if you want to call them that, like, there's kind of David Weck is one of these people at the moment that's kind of going around. I don't know if you're aware of him, but it's all about like spinal movement and waves and through the body and like really not much lifting weights or anything like that. And people either like go down that and love it and that's all they do. Or they absolutely like SSE coaches, like absolutely hate it. And it's like, you can't measure that. Just get in the gym and get stronger. And I think there is like a balance between that where you can learn from these people, but not maybe forget about, I don't even want to call them the fundamentals because like maybe, maybe that other stuff is the fundamentals. Maybe moving your, having a mobile rib cage and spine and pelvis is your fundamentals and the strength maybe isn't as important. Maybe it is. I don't know, but just keeping your eyes and ears open to different things and being able to learn from different people has been important important part, part of my journey but i'm trying to make sure i don't go all in on one thing anymore so the, the pre before you went to australia that sort of four or five really intensive period were you just studying mm -hmm. just for yourself just to improve your own sort of movement and health yeah yeah like you weren't working as a snc coach or a personal trainer or a therapist or no yeah yeah so uh, yeah and listen i completely resonate with that ad addictive personality um it's something myself and pat davidson have spoke a lot about because pat, pat would tell you himself like he's like he had previous substance abuse issues and he goes i just took that addictive energy and then just channeled it towards human performance so it's a it's a it is a very powerful aspect or trait to have if it's channeled in a in a in a good way it, it, but if you know it, i completely resonate to that it can get to a stage where it gets detrimental you're always teetering on that line of like you know and, and to be honest too david like I'm not saying that i'm a genius and i mean i think you're extremely intelligent too but people who are sort of always pioneers or if they're you know kind of they're in that one percent of their particular area of expertise 
they usually are a bit odd. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? So like they're they're usually they're on that line of like, you know, they're at, they're amazing, but geez, they they could easily tilt into this very detrimental aspect where like other aspects of their lives just crash and burn. Like but sometimes some people say that's the trade off they make to be such a, a genius in this one aspect. I mean like you look at Einstein, you know, when you say to most people, Albert Einstein, like, oh, genius. Yeah, a genius in physics, but like no clue about circadian rhythms and hydration and exercise. And, mm-hmm. like, you know, like he was illiterate in those aspects. So it's almost as if like you have to sacrifice some areas to really, it's it's no different to like you, you'd be aware of this in the movement realm when we talk about, let's say, like elite performance. You have to trade off a lot of like movement health for elite performance. Like the classic one we always use is the powerlifter. Like, yeah, they kind of want to lock up and like have an orientation in their pelvis where it just moves as one unit instead of having relative motion because they need that to be able to produce a lot of force. Yeah, exactly. The, the less relative motion they have, the better. Like they, you don't want, you're not going to see too many contortionists as powerlifters. They need to be locked up. You don't, they, they won't be able to squat down past 90 degrees too often. They will do certain things very, very well. And then like outside of that, they won't move very well at all, but like the more relative motion they have, the the less the less co-contractions they're going to have around their body, and the co-contractions that stiffness is what helps them be very successful. And like I actually just before I came on the podcast, I have a perfect example, kind of on the other end of the spectrum of that, but still this still very similar, which is um a race walker I'm working with. She was just in Kate Veal actually, an Irish race walker, and um been working with her for a couple of years now, but like her body is so conditioned to do one thing very well well which is walk and race walking is a very funny kind of interesting sport and just there we were working on like helping her get into mid stance with a bent knee her mid stance is with a straight knee all of the time so she like strikes with a straight knee keeps a straight knee and propul and propulsion with a straight knee on both sides so um just just and people might ask them, why are you working on, why are you working on, um, like even helping her do that then if that's what, not what she needs in her sport. But sometimes we go a little bit down the path too far and we start to lose things that even make us human being, maybe in the first place, like our joint articulations are just, are just missing and have gotten, gotten too far. And that probably was the case in some, in some ways for Kate and her hips and her knees start to started to struggle a little bit. So for me, I'm trying to do be as unsport specific as possible for someone like her, give her the exact opposite of what she gets in the sport. And, um, I have a lot, a lot of faith in the human body that when you just give it a little bit of what's missing, it kind of just soaks that up. It loves it. Like you don't want to give it too much. You don't want to get a, a powerlifter too mobile, but you probably won't be able to do that anyway. The, the, the amount of load that they're putting through their body won't let you, but you just give it just enough and it, the body just soaks it up. You don't have to be too strict with it. It just takes it and it runs with it and it realizes, yeah, okay, I don't maybe don't need to go too far down the end of the spectrum. You've given me just enough of the other stuff and now I'm able to push a bit more in the other direction again. So, um, so yeah, that's a bit off tangent, but exactly, hopefully, what you're saying. Yeah, hundred percent. And just a little touch on to that too. I I can resonate with, with your thought process there with with the with is it Kate or Katie? Was that her name? Kate, Kate. Yeah, yeah, Kate. Um, in terms of, I know I I've spoken to other peers of mine in the field, and that's sort of a a discussion we've had before about you know when is it 
a time to focus on restoring a bit more towards the health end of the, the spectrum. And, you know, if you think about maybe more off season, so like again, using the power because it's kind of easily just to conceptualize in our mind, you know, if it's sort of quote unquote more their off season, then maybe you might work on more sort of relative motion things in their pelvis, just a little bit. So like you're just skewing a little, the dial back a little bit towards the health and vitality end of the spectrum. And then when they start ramping up for their competitive season, then they start going back towards, their sports specificity where they have to sacrifice with that vitality so it's you know in the mm-hmm. off season where you're just giving a little you're training them more to be like a human let's say in the off season yeah. so that when so it's almost as if we're trying to diminish the detrimental impact that happens to them from their sports specific needs so i i can understand why you were doing that with kate as well in terms of her her sport yeah uh yeah and, and like we're doing plyometrics we're doing all loads of different things but lots of our plyometrics are like probably not classed as true plyometrics. They're more yieldy where she gets a chance to just sink down a little bit because she, in her sport, she doesn't bend her knees and her hips and her ankles really. So like she's jumping, but she's landing, she's sinking in, she's doing medicine ball throws, like all things that people, if they looked at race walking, wouldn't look anything like that. But that's kind of, for us, that's all season for her mostly. When the plyos like closer to competition, we pull them back obviously a little bit, but all season because she needs to be pulled back from that like edge all of the time uh, because she's since she's I don't know like in her I don't know since she's like eight years of age she's been race walking so like her body has just adapted so much to that so it's just pulling it back from the edge all of the time she's her, she her her body wants to like overcome the ground all the time there's no like sinking down into the movements there was no deeper joint angles and she didn't do any other sports and she pretty much didn't even do much running growing up. Like she is a good runner, but she didn't do a whole lot of that because she just trained more and more and more. And she was the former uh, junior race walking world champion. So like there was big things ahead for Kate at one stage, she was touted as hopefully being doing really well in the Olympics struggled for a few years when she went to college with with injuries and stuff like that and now she's hopefully getting the getting things back she has like a full team around her now to help her with her nutrition and our mindset and movement and manual therapy and all of this stuff and, and pulling it together is I think it's it's helping her quite a bit but I'm just always being as unspecific as I possibly can it's tough just going back to something you touched on there earlier in terms of you know, you, you'd go down a rabbit hole with one particular practitioner who had a method and you'd be like, this is it. Just so you know, I've been on that bus too, man. So uh, I'd say, I'd say uh, me and you have, have, have ridden that bus before. But just a, a, a quote that like Bill Hartman always loves from George Box and Pat always says it too, Pat Davidson, like George Box has that quote that all models are wrong, but some are useful. So, uh, you know, it's it's just part of the journey, isn't it? In terms of our education and it's it's a, it's a continual journey. But just getting into models, what is currently your model? I, I love models. Some people call it a system. Some people call it a model. Like, what is your model? Uh, good question. That's what I'm actually trying to figure out right now because, or get it out of my head and like onto paper because we're going to the States in a couple of weeks now to teach some workshops. And um, we've, to teach people like, how I think about movement or for, for anyone, like to teach people what you think about anything you only realize how confused you are until you try and like put it down <laughs> and teach other people. So it's very difficult um, because it's like, I, I, basically my model is like a gate, a gate model. That's how I look at, uh, at movement. Now I don't want people to think that that's how I rehab people necessarily, because I think a lot of people that fall into the biomechanics world almost 
forget about like load management, nutrition, sleep, all of these other things. And like, you'll, you'll always find a biomechanical quote unquote, like issue with someone, if you're looking for it, it's, it's no problem. It's, it's easy to find a lot of the time. These, I don't even like the word dysfunction or compensations because these are how they are actually completing the tasks. So they're, they're not dysfunctions. A lot of the time they're very functional, but I do look at things through the, the, the lens of like, of the gate cycle so that's that's my kind of model but then gary ward has um a, a phenomenal mod, flow motion model of mapping out the gate cycle walking gate but i found that that didn't really apply well enough to me and the population that i was working with who are high or not necessarily high end but they're playing sport like they're it, it's walking and running and sprinting aren't the same thing and franz bosch talks about that these like kind of phase transitions a little bit between each of these things and i think the easiest way to think about that is between walking and sprinting like the tendons and the muscles are going to be operating very very differently to 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 each other so i also have a little bit of bill hartman's model in my mind at the moment around expansion and compression which does get a little bit of flack on online, but because I think people are are confused by it because it sounds quite complicated or complex. And it it is it is quite complex, but also the human body is quite complex. And I think Bill is actually doing a really good job of trying to map that out a little bit. I'd be interested because obviously he uses that quote around all models are wrong. I would be interested to hear what Bill thinks is wrong about his model or maybe it's maybe it's that we don't actually know what's what's wrong with our own model but we just are aware that something is wrong here but we don't know what it is because if we knew what it was we probably wouldn't teach it that way so a model a model of gait and a model of kind of expansion and compression around how human human beings move um that's that's where i'm kind of that's where i'm kind of falling at the moment around things and um just looking at just looking at movement and trying to be as clear as possible around what's happening which is very difficult difficult because it's easy enough with the bones like you can actually see almost how the bones are moving but when it comes to muscles and tendons and stuff we actually don't know enough yet to be 100 confident that like okay when someone is going to land from the plyometric this is actually what's happening at the muscle versus the tendon versus whatever else but um I find that the gate model is the most accurate one that I would try and both use and teach at the moment. I know respiration is also a very big part of what you do, isn't it? In terms of rib cage mechanics and yeah, th- more thoracic position. It was it was more so, Robbie. Um, like probably twelve or twenty four months ago. Um, it's still important. I still like that's a lot of that came from the PRI stuff, which I think is super valuable, especially early on, early on with um with clients in sessions, maybe one to three. Um, like getting the rib cage moving a lot of the time it's just it's just very, very stiff. Thorax is very stiff, pelvis is very stiff, spine is very stiff. And when you get that moving, a lot of good things just seem to happen. Um, but I've moved not away from it, but I use a lot less like of the breathing drills, but the principles are still there in terms of like this, the stacking the thorax over the pelvis and, and being able to mobilize that stuff. But I use a bit more like just kind of arms reaching like a lot of Gary Gray type of stuff. I use a lot of that. Um, I just find that it opens things up a little bit quicker. It's easier to teach like in a lot of the PRI stuff, you have to be in the really like exact perfect position, take the inhale at this portion, take the exhale at that portion um, and then progress on in these ways. 
should you choose a sideline position versus a prone position to do the breathing on or a supine position whereas i think a lot of the reaches where you just have plates or arms overhead you're reaching your arms left or right frontal plane transverse plane that just mobilizes people quicker and easier and sometimes just compare combined with like a simple breathing drill works really well so the principles of the pri posture restoration institute and like bill's compression expansion model are there but i don't use the breathing part of it as much but i still use it with people but just not as much as i did a couple of years ago great stuff just i saw a question i it helps me and i ask it too because some people say if i'm thinking maybe others thinking it too to kind of conceptualize again your model and I know it's an ever-evolving process, and you said mm-hmm. you're you're in the desk of it now as you're writing it out for your for your seminar. It's fl- Florida. That's where it is. Is it the? Uh, I've one in California. It's a private one for a for a physio clinic there, and then one in Florida. So um, nice. Yeah. So th- those are two some really smart people coming as well. So I have to make sure I'm on the ball. Plenty of vitamin D as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Let's say just uh, and you can use a case study if you want, but. With that model that you're currently operating with, like I walk in and whatever it is, it's ankle, knee, low back, whatever. Like, would you be able to walk us through what would, like, what is the process there? Like, so, like, what does the model look like when it's in action? And you, again, yeah. you can use a case study if you want. Yeah, I'll um, yeah, I suppose. Look, this this helps people. Then just I'll talk about like what a session would look like, and that kind of helps then people understand like what the what the model i suppose is so like someone someone walks in regardless regardless of the issue i do an assessment like like everyone else does so i look at a bodyweight squat i look at a toe touch i look at just a standing rotation so just rotate your body left and right and then i look at a side bend so run your you're standing up run your right arm down along the side of your right leg run your left arm down along the side of your left leg so lateral flexion so if we break down some of those movements, I think a lot of people look at those type of movements, but I think that they don't, they're, they're just kind of looking at them globally and not understanding the joint interactions that are happening. And like my assessment probably doesn't take any longer, or maybe it's shorter than a lot of other people's assessments, but I think we can glean so much information from simple movements, right? So even if you don't have the ability or you're not able to, or you're not comfortable with lying someone on a table and measuring their hips, you can still see this stuff in standing right so in a in a lateral flexion let's say so i'm standing up i just run my right hand down along the side of my right leg what you're going to see there is or what 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 you could see there is i run my right hand down along the side of my right leg so what's happening in the frontal plane so the right side of my rib cage the lateral side of my rib cage is actually closing as i reach my hand down and my the left side is opening up as I reach as I reach my right hand down. Okay, so straight away there, when you look at someone, before you look at anything else, what's happening anywhere else in the body, they start to reach their right hand down. I think almost everyone looks at how far can your hand get down on one side. Does your hand reach down? Oh, it reaches down to your the outside of your right knee, but on your left side, it only reaches down um, towards like halfway down your 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 femur right so they think okay you just you have a tight ql on the right side everything is always like tight ql straight away um so we can we can actually learn a lot more because 
I can get you can get your hand down to the outside of your leg in a million different ways. So what's actually limiting someone? So first easiest thing there to look at is the ribs are they opening and closing in your side bend, side to side. I don't mean front to back here now. So if someone can reach forward and back side to side or reach down on the right side, no problem, reach down on the left side, and it looks like their ribs on the right and left are opening, or one is one side is opening as the other is closing, then I'm probably not going to go and do a breathing drill that look that's aimed at getting like lateral expansion in the rib cage because they're already showing me just from that side bend that they can actually open and close side to side. So the frontal plane, their lateral flexion in their spine and that kind of open accordion type of movement that the rib cage is there. If you look at the pelvis, when I, a lot of people, hopefully I'm not going too fast now, but like if I stand up and reach my right hand down along the side of my right leg, my, my, there needs to be so like my head and my rib cage is reaching over to the left uh, over to the right or kind of side bending to the right so there needs to be a counterbalance to that so the pelvis needs to be able to shift across over to the left side as i reach my right hand down so what does that tell us then if someone can do that if my pelvis shifts across over to the left in the frontal plane it shouldn't go forward and back or anything like that it's just pure side over pure um shift laterally to the left side that means the left hip is adducting and the right hip is abducting yeah so now i've seen like can you actually adduct and abduct which in the gate cycle is like if you can't adduct on adduct the hip adduct the hip it means that you that happens in mid stance like when my body weight is on top of my left foot when I walk or when I run, when I run in mid stance, my head, my chest, my pelvis should all be on top of my left foot. And that's where my most amount of compression, my most amount of push, I need to overcome the ground from that position. If you look at Usain Bolt running, like his most push, everyone thinks it comes from this triple extended position, this calf raise kind of position. It's not, it's coming from that kind of mid slash maximum propulsion position where my body weight is, body is on top of my foot. So to be there, I need to be adducted over that leg, not like abducted still over the other leg, the back leg. So I now know, can they adduct and abduct away out, out of one hip and onto the other hip? And you'd be surprised at how many people can adduct onto one side and not adduct at all onto the other side their body their body weight just does not shift over there so that's just an example of like one of the movements for example right if we take a toe touch a lot of people straight away you can't touch your toes you have tight hamstrings okay you can touch your toes that means that you're fine you're you've you've nice loose hamstrings but like there's a million again there's a million ways of doing it if someone can touch their toes but you're actually are just if they can or can't, what you're actually looking at in the toe touches, can they flex their spine like nice and evenly through the spine? And if they can, if they can do that, then it probably means like that they can actually get air into the back of the rib cage. So that posterior expansion and not just like in one portion, it should be, it should be a quite an even rounding through the, through the thoracic spine. You're also going to hopefully see a posterior shift of the hips. So the hips actually shift back. And that's kind of telling you, okay, they can actually open up the posterior capsule at the hips and get some length into the, maybe the glute max fibers as they go down. So if you don't see that, like you might see someone who just rounds down and they do flex their spine, but they get stuck around their knees. And a lot of the time that's because their hips actually never moved. They didn't get that posterior weight shift. I had someone in yesterday that looked like that. 
Um, they couldn't touch, couldn't touch their toes anywhere close. Had proximal hamstring tendinopathy, and actually, it just looked like they couldn't get any length into the the posterior capsule of the hips, the glutes, the the proximal hamstring at all. So that just drove my exercise selection there where it was like okay i'm going to start to give you exercises like hinging type of exercises that teaches you how to lengthen into those those tissues back there so um so yeah i suppose the gait model doesn't mean you're actually like looking at someone and then giving them an exercise like helping them practice walking or helping them practice running it just informs your exercise selection and usually a rehab process for someone or helping someone open up their their movement looks something like you're going to start for me at least you're going to start with like your assessment obviously like everyone else you're going to look at their you're going to start with like some sensory motor exercises maybe if they need it but i'm more than happy to skip that stuff and move on to higher stuff if they if i feel like they don't need it so that could could be a breathing drill it could be just like a uh, an ankle dorsiflexion or uh, some kind of just mobility and sensory type of work then it usually moves on to uh like where you start to introduce more load and that could be like a bulgarian split squat it could be more of a hinge it could be a heels elevated goblet squat whatever and um, so those those sessions one to three are like usually more sensory motor mobility restore relative motion then we try and like build some strength on top of that without maybe losing what we've got and then we progress on to usually some plyometric type of movements and i kind of i kind of classify the plyos as in two different ways like like the true plyometrics which are overcoming plyometrics which everyone knows as like berkashansky would frown on me for saying plyometrics and talking about not overcoming they're just short ground contact time plyometrics where we're trying to get off the ground nice and quickly so your hops and stuff like that. Um, and then I have like more yielding ones where actually we're, we're doing jumping and hopping type of movements, but we're actually allowing our body to sink into them a little bit more. So we're sinking down and actually that can be still quite nice to restore relative motion because it's the muscle is usually getting a more of an eccentric lengthening there. And, um, but we're still, but it's like a faster eccentric. A lot of people use a, use a lot of slow eccentrics um, I use a lot of fast eccentrics in the form of jump, lunge jumps, jumps, hops and stuff like that. But we're sinking down. So we're trying to get stronger in um, deeper joint angles. So that's kind of a typical. Yeah, hopefully that makes sense. Hopefully I didn't go all over the place. And No, it's, it's really, really good because it's it, it's clearing things in my mind and stimulating further questions. You, in in terms then, David, of um, like, do you have a hierarchy in your mind, too, of so let's say at the very top of the hierarchy is like sports performance and say underneath that sports performance. So you have like say sports specificity and underneath that we have speed and agility and then underneath that is power and under, underneath that is strength, you know, so that you can see like they're under, they're underpinning uh, there. So the, the, the preceding quality is underpinning the succeeding quality. So underneath strength, you might have hypertrophy and underneath that work capacity. And then underneath that could be movement and mm-hmm. underneath that could be, you know, like lifestyle and respiration and neutrality and stuff. Like in your mind, do you have some sort of human performance hierarchy? Like, is no. there certain is there certain prerequisites that you would that you think should be in place before somebody should should go after a certain performance marker? If that makes sense. Um, not not really. No. Um, I think I think range range of motion is one, but I'm not like someone who's so obsessed with that like we are like i get all kinds of athletes who are missing range of motion there and you think 
well you wouldn't think but like they're they're still able to play their sport no problem they just compensate in a different way but like I think I think that can come back to bite you a little bit so I, I do like to have the range of motion where I need it I just like to have enough not I don't know what enough is but like if someone is just completely missing something I like to, I like to get that back I place almost like coordination maybe at the top of that whole whole um pyramid that hierarchy and but that that doesn't mean like I work on that last I actually probably work on that first coordination just means like to me it means intramuscular intermuscular and then like just global coordination and that just means like how do you how do you actually how do you actually move here and how do you like can you do a skip can you can you learn a movement can you catch a ball things like that i think they are really 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 important and i think you can everyone it's hard to define i actually have john coyley on my podcast it's hard to kind of and he he talks a lot about this it's hard to define coordination but everyone knows when they see it or when they don't see it um i do have a hierarchy not i I don't i don't want to call it a hierarchy but in the rehab process i think you have to have like a step-by-step kind of not system, but like a logical progression through things. So if someone has an ACL, if if someone ruptured their ACL, they came back from surgery, you're not going to start with plyometrics. You're going to start with getting the range of motion back in the knee joint. You're going to hopefully introduce like you're going to you're going to work on some sensory motor things you're going to work on balance you're going to work on coordination so like reintegrating the gait cycle back into their movement you're going to work on strength you're going to work on uh, plyometrics you're going to work on dynamic movement um that's more planned and then unplanned and then you're going to go back into sport so like that is how i would think about the rehab process but i wouldn't if it I wouldn't necessarily wait to work on a plyometric movement just because they hadn't hit a certain strength marker. It would be more like, I think it's a bit safer for you at the moment. Like it doesn't make sense that if you can't even control a bodyweight squat, it doesn't make sense for me to do a drop jump with you. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't place the, I wouldn't place one or the other as a, as higher as in a hierarchy would be more like, I just need to get you to tick off some of these boxes to get to the next step. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what I'm getting at. Cause I think in, is it your, uh, one of your, is it your lower body ones, your fundamental, you had this little hierarchy where it's like, it's range of motion. Yeah. And then you have like floor to standing to, to yeah. lift and to bound and to run. Yeah. That kind of, that kind of process in my mind, when I saw that, like that made sense, you know, yeah. as in the sort of, yeah. And I get you. And again, it's not, exactly like you said it's not like it's not like you have to be able to do this before you do this it's like you can do everything that's there it's just that we might emphasize something and we you know and everything else is kind of sprinkled in appropriate at the appropriate times like exactly like when someone is coming back from even an acl when it gets to an like they don't have to wait till the very and I, don't, I don't even know i'm doing air quotes here for people that can't see this but they don't have to wait till like to the very end of their rehab to then do plyos or, or something sometimes it just needs to be dosed appropriately at an appropriate time like you know so it's like because i suppose when people think plyometrics with an acl they're like they're thinking oh fucking depth jumps and hurdle hops it's like they can just like hop over a line to mm-hmm. start to introduce elasticity and reactivity and then it progresses from there and you can do that pretty early on in the rehab process so like you're there saying oh i'm doing plyometrics with someone who's early on their, re- their acl and they're like what are you doing because they're thinking like again 
these massive hurdle jumps and depth jumps and you're like no like applied is just this but it's just where they're at right now but i'm still introducing that like quality to their tissues exactly exactly i have a variation that i use which is you're lying on your back your foot is up against the wall your knees are bent a little bit um it's like a it's like a, if people think about like a, a long lever ha- hamstring bridge where you're digging your heel down into a box or a bench and you're, and you're lifting your hips up into the air. Similar to that, except you put your foot against the wall. So your full foot is against the wall. You take your heel off the wall a little bit. Your hips are up in the air. Your knee isn't straight. It's, it's a little bit bent, a little bit flexed. And you just hop off the wall and land back on that foot again. And you do a pogo hop, but lying on the ground again, uh, with your foot against the wall. I call it a wall pogo. And like that's that's a way of introducing that feeling of a plyometric movement. And I'm quite aggressive. I'm really aggressive with rehab. Like I want, I push people quite hard, but it's, it's also logical. I'm not pushing them into something, which is like, I just feel like they haven't, it's a foreign movement that they haven't tried in the last 12 months. If they, if I'm going to push them in, with an Achilles rehab, like you obviously have to be careful with the Achilles. If I'm going to give them a single leg, pogo in standing they will have already done a double leg pogo if they've if they've done a double leg pogo they will have done a single leg wall pogo lying on their back and if they've done if they've done so like single leg wall pogo that means they've done a wall stride which i call like lying on your back and you're just doing a calf raise against the wall so like those things could progress very very quickly but i'll still go through that progression so that I'm not taking any chances. And also they don't feel like they're taking a big massive leap into something. It feels like actually I've already done this movement, but just in a slightly different position. Yeah, it just remind me of when, when I used to work at Mike Boyles, he had this, it was, like, it was like the only machine he would allow in his gym. It's this thing called an MVP shuttle, shuffle or shuttle, shuttle, MVP shuttle. And you like, yeah, how to describe it it's like uh it kind of looks like a hack squat almost but it's it's even more horizontal it's almost nearly parallel to the ground so and then it basically you it's like a you do a dynamic you're jumping and hopping on you can do two legs one leg so you can do jump and hop and you're just pushing off this this platform but it's almost it's it's almost like anti-gravity because you're basically like parallel your backside is almost parallel to the floor mm-hmm. so it's very similar to what you're saying po going off a wall Mm-hmm. In, a, in a supine position so I, I really really like that too it reminds me too of louis simmons's i don't know if you ever see his pendulum swing he, he oh yeah 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 he invented um, too yeah yeah i think uh what's his name max marzo had a video of that i think uh like he he caught co- i think he copied that or he made his own little swing out of his rack or something and he was hitting the wall so um yeah i just i'm not good with my hands at making stuff so i just used the uh, use my imagination instead yeah it sounds like something max would do he's a fucking lunatic yeah um but yeah, no, I mean that, that just I actually never seen that pogo drill he spoke about, but in my head I'm like, that's perfect. Like it's obviously you're taking gravity, a lot of gravity basically out of the equation there because of the, the the position the body is in. Mm-hmm. So and and it's uh, it just reminded me then of when we used to use that MPV shuffle at boys at, at boils. But uh something else I want to ask because again, you, you know, you gate is such a, a a fundamental area within your model currently. Um, I know there's a lot of models out there too, and they're very much about training the split squat with the feet in certain positions of gait, like the load, the gait, like the load, the split squat in mid stance or early stance or late stance, depending mm-hmm. on what they're seeing with a particular individual. Do you do any of that type of work as well? Or what's your thought process on that? Um, yes, but it's, it's the squats that people already know. Right. And it's just, it's just about categorizing them. In a, in a slightly different way so if you take a bulgarian split squat 
you're you're starting with your body mass or body weight a little bit more on top of the loaded leg okay if someone doesn't take a ridiculously long long stride which they probably shouldn't take anyway it kind of messes up the exercise a little bit in my opinion but so uh, the the way of categorizing where you are kind of in the gait cycle you have to understand like or people have to understand gait isn't isn't the gym but i just use that kind of lens in my mind so it's not it's not a perfect lens but a bulgarian split squat would be if you look at someone coming down into the bulgarian split squat their knee will be forward over their toes a little bit so they'll have a positive shin angle and then they will be i would call that more like more like mid stance in the gait cycle because the positive shin angle is is it looks like if you just cut cut a picture of someone off from the knee up the foot and where the knee and where the shin is is going to look like mid stance in running similar enough very similar actually and then there's it, it's also more biased towards internal rotation so internal rotation is how we bill talks about this internal rotation is a down force it's how we put force through the floor so if you look at anyone in mid stance in walking running sprinting plyometrics they all have like mid stance right that is where they put force into the floor it's a little bit more pronation it's a little bit more internal rotation and that that is that knee that knee forward a little bit more as well earlier it's a straighter knee and then later propulsion it's a straighter knee both of them are more supination and both of them are more biased towards external rotation internal rotation mid stance more pronation so bulgarian split squat they're kind of down in that middle position the knee is forward positive shin angle they have to push down through the floor which is separate different to what a lot of people think sometimes in the powerlifting world is like they're trying to grip the ground and, and push their knees as far out as they can but even those athletes will find a way to push and that will involve their knees dipping in a little bit and that is internal rotation that's pushing through the floor so bulgarian split squat would be would be that um if you think about a regular split squat that you start to see maybe with the knees over toes guy like they're going through full range they're actually starting with a negative shin angle and then the knee is coming forward and they're coming all the way back out again so that's that's a little bit more of like transitioning from early to middle to late and then back out of that again through the gate cycle so um if i have someone who is missing hip internal rotation pronation um missing full knee flexion on the table or in their in their measurements it might be nice to put them into more of a bulgarian split squat because if they're missing hip internal rotation that probably means the posterior capsule is quite tight the glutes are quite tight so they need to like push their they need to they need to be able to push their hips back a little bit Whereas if they're missing more external rotation, it's probably likely that they're actually arched, their, their pelvis is dumped forward quite a bit. And that's so that's a that's where I might choose like a more upright squat, like a heels elevated goblet squat or something like that, because that's biased a bit more to, to external rotation. So that's that's so yes, I am looking at that, but the exercises don't don't change to what other people how other people are using them. I think that's where people are sometimes they shit on the gate stuff because 
it's like, okay, you talk about all this stuff, but you're just using, you're not creating any new exercises. There's probably not that many new exercises that you're going to create where we're actually progressing, hopefully as an, as an industry, I mean, is we're, we're coming up with better explanations for why we're doing things and logical explanations for why we're doing things. I think people all often talk about pro or we're not making progress because look at this Russian doing this exercise 70 years ago. But it, it's not it's not about the exercises, it's about the explanation and the logic behind it and, and understanding people as a whole a little bit better. I think that's where we're progressing. So, yeah, so that's um, that's how I choose some of my exercise selection. Great stuff. As we I mentioned his name earlier on, Franz Bosch, just in, in terms of Franz's work, what have you taken away, away from that? Um, more, more theory than practical, I think. Um, I'm, I, I, I'm a huge fan of Franz, the work that he's trying to do, which is he's trying to explain what's happening within the body as we in sport, in higher level sport. Like he's trying to actually map it out. What's happening at an inter and intramuscular level? What's happening at the tendons, the muscles? What are the attractors of each of these different sports? And he's trying to push back on, I think, the idea that if you just get stronger, that's going to transfer over. So he's trying to push, he's trying to actually understand transfer of training, which is not an easy problem. And understanding coordination at a muscular level is not an easy problem to solve either. So he's, he's not the first person to try to do that, but he has brought that into the awareness of, I think a lot of SSC coaches and, and into the physio world as well. So I have a lot of appreciation for him to even open up that conversation a little bit more. Um, so I've taken some of that work or not taken it, but I've, I've, he did the, the theory of the coordinative aspects of it is, is, is quite beneficial for me. And the theory around some of the attractors and stuff is quite beneficial for me, but I don't, I don't really, at the moment, I don't really love the practical aspects of how they train. Like if you might use a, like a, a Bosch clean or, or things like that, I don't, I just haven't found as much transfer or benefit from that stuff as all other types of training at the moment but um theoretical wise i think he's doing a phenomenal job yeah transfer training is such a that is a subject of many discussions about that i mean again ferkashansky probably was one of the first people to really try and get into that area with his dynamic correspondence and obviously France to a certain degree and then because you have I don't know how much you know about this but there's so that there's a kind of a school of thought of like so France is very much about coordination and I I'm similar to yourself I actually very much appreciate what he's trying to do in, in terms of the um the message that he's trying to put out there I, I think a lot of it too comes down to how the message is portrayed because a lot of people who sort of don't like Franz Bosch is like, they don't like him. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just because he, he is very blunt, like, and it's just, that's just his style. That's just his, his presentation style. Like it was very similar to like Charles Poliquin when he was alive. Charles is very same. Just like Charles could really like, if you're someone who's very easily offended and you shouldn't be because it's taking offense, is just a sign of selfishness. Cause you think everything's about you. If anyone's read the book, the four agreements, um, but like Charles of Simran, and France kind of has that too. And then there's, just, there's also that Dutch soccer coach, is it Raymond, Raymond, some, I can never say his second name. Or Hoyland or, yeah. yeah, something, yeah very, yeah. very similar, you know, just real, like they, they can come across very condescending, but it's actually just the way that it's just their personality. Like, you know, they, they don't, they're, they're completely oblivious to how they're coming across. 
but I do appreciate his information. And um, the more I learn about sort of motor learning and environment task and um, organism from Newell's model of constraints, like the more of what Fran says does make a lot of sense, like in terms of like what you're doing in this environment has no transfer to what you're doing in this environment. It's like when you step back and think about it, like, you know, he, he, he's right. Like, so there is a school of thought where like a lot of people are very much so there's a spectrum I see in that. In my head, I see the spectrum of Franz Bosch is at one end, but then there's the Charlie Francis one at the other end. So at the Charlie Francis and Charlie Francis is like, listen, you just have two types of training very general and your sport and he's like when you're doing very general stuff just be general that's just strength work that's just whatever does not look like your sport it's just general it's just building up general biomotor abilities and some motor capacities it should not interfere with the mm-hmm. sport specificity he's like when you're doing your sport you're doing your sport whereas in the france stuff is kind of like it's almost in this like nowhere's man land it's kind of like you're not getting strong you're not building force output and we're kind of looking like stuff you're doing in your sport, but it's kind of not the sport. So some people who are more towards the Charlie Francis thought are like, just do general, do specific, leave it at that. Whereas other people like at the France are like, no, it's coordination and it's this and it's that. And it's, it can get very gray in some people's mind. And then again, as I start off with this, this kind of discussion here, a lot of people then they don't like France and they're like, I don't like his stuff, you know? So yeah. they just kind of blow it off. But I think uh, again, a lot of what he's trying to get across does make a lot of sense. Again, a lot of it too is that people just don't have the background knowledge in motor developments and they don't understand uh, like motor control and motor development, motor learning and skill acquisition. They just don't, they don't have a background. So if you don't have a frame of reference, it's like you trying to learn Spanish or recently Spanish and you don't speak Spanish. It's just like, mm-hmm. this makes no sense to me. Mm-hmm. And then also too, if it's something that you're, you're perceiving as an attack on what you believe like you gotta fucking do strength training olympic lifting like that builds speed and this fellow's saying that that's a lot of crap and actually he's not saying that there's more to it than that because against the coordinative aspect it's just then people would be like they just don't want to listen to it then you know so it's but i'm with you i i am appreciating what he's trying to do yeah the um the the, the charlie francis thought process there not not Charlie Francis himself, but that thought process of just do your sport and then just get strong can can work, definitely, can be va- valuable. But I think what Franz is trying to bring into the conversation is actually not just maybe that something that like that strength work might not be transferring over, but actually it might be having a negative transfer. And that's not what you're taught in any like very 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 few people talk about negative transfer training and if you look just in the ga world there is very obvious examples every club has an example of negative transfer of training a guy that just went and got strong and just couldn't move anymore there's so many examples so that does get people's back up that franz is not just saying like okay, maybe this isn't transferring, but he's actually maybe saying this is making people worse. And honestly, in some regards, he's right. He is right. Um, I think like Bill's Bill's model, Bill Hartman's model is quite helpful here here because he kind of has these two broad archetypes of a narrow infrasternal angle and a wide infrasternal angle. And the wides are going to do better in the gym they look more like a powerlifter, right? They have a big chest up. They're a bit more extended. They're able to like 
they're able to hinge more. A lot of movements in the gym in S&C look like hinging, like even a back squat looks a little bit like a hinge. People start to lean forward. Um, even a Nordic curl, your chest is driven up into the sky. It becomes like a back extension. Your, your deadlifts, your rows, everything starts to look a bit like a hinge, a lot of back extension, a lot of anterior pelvic tilt. And wide, wide infrasternal angle athletes, very wider, wide people. I know some people might be confused here, but you can just categorize them into, into two. They do really well in the gym. They're built for that. Then there's the narrows who look a bit more like um, they're they're a bit they're a bit taller. They might have a little bit more um, not sorry not taller. They're a bit like they're a bit literally a bit narrower. They might be a little bit more like a middle distance runner. You might see someone more middle distance or longer distance runners are more likely to be narrows. More like powerlifters are more likely to be wide. But then there's a big massive spectrum where even in a GA team you could have half and half. They're just they just structurally are built slightly different so they don't do as well with as much compression and there's a lot of compression in the gym so even in the charlie francis model guess what ben johnson was really wide he did really well when he went and smashed a load of weights and he got really 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 strong so like even charlie's like lens or, or he was even biased maybe towards like just get really strong and then do your sport because of maybe some of the athletes that he was working with but there is all these people in the middle and i think a lot of a lot of the narrower infrasternal angle not that they can't do well in the gym i don't want it to sound like that they just are never going to be like built for the barbell back squat and the deadlift like some of the wides are they the narrows are going to get are going to get compressed in a way that robs a lot of their movement and they're just not built for that so there is a big massive spectrum and maybe bill's model helps us understand why some people don't do as well in the gym and why that why they have more negative transfer it actually really affects their game i have i have a couple of athletes at the moment that i'm working with who actually i was working with one guy online and he he had some chin splints he had some um hip issues and stuff like that and i helped him with that stuff and then he went back into his he was flying and he went back into his like teams snc program which was very generic like everything was extension as much get into your your spine into as much extension as you can get for every single movement and it completely locked him up and only when COVID was lifted and he actually came down to visit me, he's like several hours away, he came down to visit me and I was actually able to look at him properly. He was like one of the narrowest athletes I, I've, I've ever seen, whereas like his his rib cage at the front, like basically the, the lower ribs there at the front for people who are listening, like they, they're almost like touching each other. They're so close on left and right. And he just wasn't built for hinging work at all and a lot of extension work at all. So I just give him he's still doing tons of gym work now. I'm just taking over his programming all the time, basically, but it's a lot more fluid work. Like if he, he's doing, if he's doing squats, he has like the weights in his hand or the weight in front rather than on his back. He's not doing as much hinging work because, because he can't like hinge back into his hips. All he does is just arches back a ton instead. Um, and then we're doing a lot of fluid work where like he's in a Bulgarian split squat and I keep him away from like that slightly grinding type of movement where I have to like squeeze and brace everything to push myself back up. Instead, there's a lot of, lot of like kind of where he takes his foot off the floor 
he sinks down into the movement nice and quick and then he has to like spring and push back up so there's a lot of that kind of like more fluid oscillatory type of work foot more full range and I still keep him away from the grinding work. And then his hard work is done in like loads and loads and loads of plyometrics, that type of thing. So um, I, d- I don't measure all the athletes. Like, are you wide or are you narrow? But like, you can kind of see people, you can definitely see someone who's like super, super wide, biased towards internal rotation, compression in the gym all the time. And then someone who's like super, super narrow, who's who's just not built to be in the gym doing those type of lifts. They're just, you can just look at someone and everyone can do this, whether you've ever heard wide or narrow, you can look at someone and say, you were not born to be a powerlifter. Simple, simple as that. Yeah, big time. And just touching on negative transfer, but if you read any of Bonnerchuk's books, sorry, Bonnerchuk, Dr. Bonnerchuk's books, he speaks about that. Um, that's what his whole book is about. So he showed with his throwers, he's like, when, it, when a thrower's bench press went up, their performance in the throw went up. But then when their bench got to a certain level, any further increase in their bench actually had a negative transfer. Their throw performance went down. So like, if you read any classical training literature, they tell you this. They're like, once you hit a certain point in a certain quality, any further like energy put towards that is going to take away from other qualities that need more enhancement. And if you're just talking about general qualities versus sport specific, once your general abilities are at a, at a proficient level to support your sport specific abilities, you don't need to spend any more time developing those. And, and as Franz would say now, and Dr. B by actually still spending more time on those general abilities, you're actually robbing energy that can be spent on your sport specificity. And it's probably actually going to have a negative transfer now. And the other thing that Franz talked about as well is that his whole thing too is a coordination aspect. He's like, when you're teaching your nervous system to grind out squats, he's like the co-contractions, the range of motions and the forces going around like the joints and the knees and all that, they have no transfer to what your foot's going to do when you're upright and sprinting. Mm-hmm. And he, and then like, and he talks about like, you, you actually had a video out in this, like the, the co-contraction that has to happen around the knee with the ACL. Like if you don't get that hip flexion with knee flexion and you go into that and he's like, all this discoordination comes and he's like, these guys are strong as hell in the weight room, but they've no coordination. And then like, it makes me think too about specificity. And again, going back to Newell's model of organism, environment, task. If you're trying to like, let's just reverse engineer this, right? Me and you come from GAA. So like you think about all these injuries it's like, yeah, but look at the training. Like we classically do. We don't do anything that prepares our body for that. When do we ever do like really quality speed and change direction work? We don't. Mm-hmm. we never do that all we do is this gym work now and then the sport like it's in the technical skills of the sport and we don't spend any time on like the movement quality of sprinting and like change direction and james smith the thinker he always said nearly every sport that's played on a field on a corporate sport is this sprinting change direction dot 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 and the dot 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 is the skill so he's like ruby sprinting change direction and ruby skills hurling and getting football, sprinting, change direction, and hurling and getting football skills. He's like, so if you're not doing any of that, he's like, you're not preparing the organism for the environment that it has to perform task in. And then if you're talking about training transfer, it's like, no wonder we're getting no transfer here whatsoever and injuries are skyrocketing because we don't prepare the athletes for this. Their soft tissues aren't prepared. Their central nervous system for coordinated aspect aren't prepared because we're locked in this box of like, just get fucking strong, right? Because strength is like underpinning of performance. You know, you got to get strong to produce force. It's like, Actually, and this is another thing too, people think that strength is a type of training. Strength is a biomotor quality, like power and speed. What we're doing is force. That's the, that what we're training is force. And you can create force in multiple different ways. But the key thing here is that doing force in one aspect, like a slow, grindy squat, 
unless you're a novice and you're early in your athletic career, that will not get you ready to perform to, to produce force when you have time restraints and it's rate of force development dependent mm-hmm. and your tissues are acting in a completely different way. That's where France is coming through too. And you've spoken about this before, like, like these distal properties of the connected tissues, because your, your brain and nervous system are too slow to get the message to it, to be able to get your joints in the right position to apply force back into the ground. So this distal before proximal elements, you know, you're not, you're not getting that in a weight room. No. Like when you, when you go into a squat, you're approximately bracing down, it's conscious, it's high threshold, and you're moving from like proximal out back to distal, you're pushing the ground away with, whereas you got like all these distal proximal things happening, like preloading and, and like taking the muscle slack out. And that's the stuff where, and see, if you don't know that so far, have, again, it's, it's like when you first learn Spanish, and you're like, this is really tough. Like, yeah, it is tough. Just stay with it for a little bit. Because then like, oh, I've heard muscle slack now a few times and I've heard co-contractions. Like just, educate yourself like like i i'm bill's model is like bill hartman you mentioned him bill's model is really tough when you start like Mm -hmm. going through it first and i've i've been i know i've known bill for years and i've done his intensive and i'm gonna go back next year and do it again um and it's really tough model and at first you're like what like you're just like this is so tough but then we (laughs) when you do more of it and more of it like oh i'm getting it i'm getting it and it's not again it's not to say and he'll tell you this himself they're, like it's not the be all end all he's like because all models are wrong but some are mm-hmm. useful but it's the same thing with Franz's work it's like just stick with it learn the skill like you learn what he means by attractor and fluctuator and you start to understand and one final thing i was saying this is that and f- don't forget that every model and every person we're talking about every model is created by a human and every person is a human and we're always wrong yeah. <laughs> so like just because Franz wrote something doesn't mean that it's right. It's just what he currently thinks. And it's kind of like, I almost have that appreciation. Like, and just to concur with you said, I just appreciate that he's trying to put that stuff forward. It's, it's like with Grey Cook with the FMS. And people are like, oh, it's a lot about, I'm like, he, the man is just trying. He's just trying. Give him a break. You know, he's just, he's just trying to make the world a little bit better, you know? And it's like people just shit all over. And like, mm-hmm. same with like Ron and Ruskin PRI. He's like, and it's just like, the man is just trying to make the world a little, like, you know, like, what have you, like, people, it's so much easier to destroy than to create, you know, people just want to shit on things and say, okay, what, what's, what's your model? Like, what have you brought to this? Mm-hmm. And I mean, they're just trying, you know what I mean? And, and again, all models are, are useful or all models are wrong, but some are useful, you know? Yeah. So there's, there's just safety in what you know, which is understandable. Like there's safety in what you know, but if you hear, if you, if you love back squats for athletes and then you hear Franz Bosch saying, that actually perhaps you're teaching your athlete to need external load to help them overcome muscle slack and now you're making them worse on the field because they don't have a barbell on their back they don't have external load they need to they need to be able to pre-tension the muscle before their foot hits the floor like that's basically just shattered your worldview if you if you if all you do is back squats now that's not to say Franz is right but like there, there. I think he's probably. I, I like back squats, so like I, I don't know, but like, there is a world where that, or there is a an individual where that is the case. Um. So, I, I, I like to, I like to, I like to try and keep open, and I definitely have my biases too. I definitely, hundred percent do. There'll be times where I'll see something and I'll just straight away be like, that's shit. But like, maybe it's not. I don't know. Maybe I'll just try and be as open as I can. I think I was thinking about this earlier on today because obviously I knew I was going to be talking to you. And, you know, if you look at like the four elements of performance that people talk about, uh, so, you know, the physical, the technical, the tactical, and the psychological. And then if you go into that physical realm where a lot of, a lot of what 
the world that me and you came from kind of were in there, you have the three Bs, you know, you have so biomotor, bioenergetics, and you got your biodynamics as, as um, for Kachansky called it, which is just the biomechanics. He called it biodynamics just to be sounding more groovy. Woo. But uh, like the biomotor is, you know, your strength, your power, your speed. And like, that's kind of, it's easy to understand you know, we had these categories for it. You know, you do this amount of sets, this amount of reps, you move at this velocity. And like, even even with that, it's, just, it's because of humans, we hate uncertainty. So we like things that are very certain. So we like to put things in these boxes, like strength is developed at this, power is this, speed is this. So like we have this biomotor ability box done. Okay, energy systems, we have alactic, lactic, aerobic. Here's the parameters of mall done. But really like, you know, if we really broke those down, the biomotors and the bioenergetics, they're like, it's way more great than that. We know, we like, like one of Bill's dirty words, like he hates, you know, flexion, extension. They don't exist. Energy system development is one too. He like doesn't exist because he's like, we don't fucking know what energy system. Really, we just know to treat them. They're always working, and it just varies in volumes, intensities, and respirations, and whatever. But so the reason I'm bringing this up is, we have nice categories for that. Yeah. The biomechanics one though, that's like. Mm, it's hard for people. Oh, there's mats, there's angles, there's lever arms. So a lot of people are like, I ah, just, yeah, I'm going to leave that. I'm going to just stick to the weight room yeah. and I'm going to stick to just run the shit out of lads. Cause that's easy to do. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, so the whole like biomechanics. So if you look at strength and conditioning too, or, or athletic development, there's two branches. If you go to any like university, there's the physiology branch and then there's the biomechanics branch. And that's usually how two people, like there's these real two. So you get people who look at performance, very biomechanical and very physiological. And the physiology one usually is just easier to write about. It's easier to have all these intellectual masturbation discussions about like, you know, VO2 max and critical power and the biomechanics. Like it's like, they don't spend any time about energy systems, but that's a harder world to conceptualize for most people because it's physics and it's math. So a lot, what I'm saying is you're, and I'm, I'm just using this to kind of get this point across. You're kind of me head of strength coach. They stay away from that. Like, cause you, cause like in Australia, for instance, they actually have a strength coach, a speed coach and a conditioner. Like they three people just for that fucking three B's. So, and then in America too, you have just your strength coaches like, and the, or strength and conditioning and they literally just do strength and conditioning but they have no clue when it comes to like speed work they just run the shit out. they've no like if you're talking about acceleration mechanics or anything like that mm-hmm. so they, they, like biomechanics is just like it's and then along with biomechanics if you get into technical and tactical and even psychological that's the whole skill acquisition world and most performance coaches that i've met over the years because i've come from this too they hate that world because you can't weigh it you can't measure it I don't have any, like when you go out to the field, you know this, David, because you're very well studied and well read and I've seen your stuff. Like when we go out to a field and do a hurling session, I can't take a measure at the start of that session. And then at the end of that session, say, right, David, you learned this much. Like I can't, I can't put electrodes on your brain and say, right, you've made these neural plastic connections that you are now better. Because the problem is with movement, it's an emergent property all the time. You'll never, ever, ever do the same movement twice in your life. Never. It's never going to happen because it's an emergent property because you're always having to negotiate with your environment and the environment is always ever changing. Your thoughts are different. How the food sitting near something different, watch at that day, your blood sugar, you had a row with someone, everything you stepped in the ground, there was a stone or it was a stone or your toenails digging into like, it's everything. So you're always negotiating internal environment, external environment. And that just does not sit well with humans who do not like uncertainty. We're, like in the weight room, we can go, Oh, your trap bar one RM was 180. And six weeks later, when we retested or whenever it was, it is now 200. We have seen, so now your strength is gone. And then we're like, 
strength's gone up. I've done my job as a strength coach. You have no more force output. You should get faster. And then like, if we step back from that, go, unless you're a beginner, the force output that they put into that is specific to that skill. Mm-hmm. It won't have any transfer to when they're upright running at max velocity. It probably won't have any transfer even in acceleration. Again, depending on the age development of that athlete, if someone is well-trained, it's like, it's just like, and then you've attacked their world and it goes with this whole thing. But I'm rambling on here, but just to say that when it comes to like biomechanics, the reason why most people like just don't have any background knowledge because it's scary because it has mats and all and people are like, I just don't do that. We just lift heavy weights for biomotor and we just run the shield ads for, for bioenergetics, the biodynamic stuff and the dynamic correspondence and the whole skill acquisition world. Then they're like, that's w-. like, I remember for years, really, that's woo woo. Like people are talking about like this, like, you know, fucking, uh, um, ecological dynamics and per- perception action coupling and they hear this and they're like what's an action percept what, what does that mean coupling i'm like well you know couple means two you know and he's like you know when you were did acting mice and they coupled and they're like yeah i didn't listen because i'm just a me head <laughs> and it's just like so like we can't weigh that world and it just people you know if it's scary and it's uncertain they just don't want to listen to it so when franz comes out with attractors and fluctuators because mm-hmm. i was that guy too i was like oh this is just like you know i'm just gonna he, he mightn't listen to this but I was just a bit more like, you know, because Coach Boyle's a mentor of mine, my Boyle, but Mike's real like, if he if he kind of gets that, I just don't really understand it and I don't like that guy. He just goes, I'm not going to listen to it. I'm just kind of like, eh, it's not a great way to be. But anyway, so a lot of people are like, I'm not going to listen to that. I'm not going to listen to Franz. I'm not going to listen to like Sean Mishka on, you know, skill acquisition. This David Gray guy's talking about gate mechanics and he's talking about eight early stance and mid stance. I don't wonder what, what does that like what does it mean when the Taylor Carroll joints like translates and the, you know it doesn't translate at the start and then translate in mid stance and what does he mean by max propulsion? I don't understand these words, so it's just like they don't want to know. Mm-hmm. And then it's just certainty, they want certainty. Yeah, look, it's up to us to or us, like as like when I'm teaching what I'm teaching, it's up to me to try and have that balance between, okay, who am I trying to teach here? Like, and if they want to learn, they can come and learn. And there's also like this trying to make it understandable, easy-ish or easier, enjoyable, have a right gateway, like into that, into those topics for people. And honestly, I think Instagram has been good for me for that. Like I, I've tried to use it. I tried to make things as simple as possible. If it wasn't for me putting up stuff on Instagram, I wouldn't be probably talking to you today, Robbie. So like, I think it's getting better. I think there is a, an appetite for a lot of people to to learn and there's a lot of negative aspects to social media, but then it's, 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 it, it is a gateway to maybe start to open your world up to different views and see these short clips. It doesn't mean you should use it for all of your education, but like there's so much out there. There's so many different coaches doing so many cool things. And there's a lot, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of good stuff. I'm very like, for instance, with my patellar tendinopathy, like 10 or 12 or 13 years ago, it was a mess. Like all I was doing was glute activation and, a slant board single leg squat with zero load ever and and taping and taping my patella patella now like i can usually help someone get significantly better with their patella tendon and not just me like look, pretty much any good coach now or therapist can help someone in three four five six weeks where no one just really knew what was going on before so like we have we have progressed as much as people want to say that like the the industry is just not progressing forward and everyone's just doing the same thing all of the time it's not like it we are we are progressing a lot we are getting we are getting better there is just 
there is the pendulum just swings too far and stuff like that. But even though the pendulum swings forward and back and we we go too far down one end and like oh everything is strength, then we'll probably move away from it. Strength doesn't matter at all. Like even though it constantly swings forward and back, we're still moving forward all the time. And I think the average coach now is hopefully a lot better than the average coach was 10 or 15 years ago. Actually, definitely a lot better now than 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 what they were, I think. So we're getting there and it's just trying to have an appetite or being, look, there's a lot of shit, shit coaches out there, shit therapists out there, but like trying to have an appetite of trying to better yourself and understand that that has some small impact on the industry as a whole if everyone can get a little bit better themselves and just stay open to ideas and have at least have a conversation around, around them rather than just shutting yourself off straight away. Cool stuff. I won't keep you too much longer because uh, what time do you have to head off? Ah, whenever. Uh, so just a few more little wrap-up questions here. Um, and again, you take as long as you want to answer them. Interested to learn about your learning process. So it's a question I ask a lot of my guests. So like, what is your learning process? There's a topic you want to master. I know movements is, is your, because I heard it, your podcast, you did at the start of this year and you're like, movements where I'm going. That's what, that's my baby right now. Mm-hmm. So in, in terms of just mastering a topic, what's your learning process? Uh, again, it's all over the place. I, so my most amount of learning or where I feel like I've gotten most clarity in the last couple of years has been which is almost contradictory to what I just said right there was like almost like just not listening to too many people and just sitting down with myself and looking at my clients and just opening my eyes and seeing what was actually happening. So by far, number one, my my most important way to learn is working with people by far, by a million bazillion miles. And that's why like no matter how... Hopefully we'll get very successful and teach a lot of coaches and therapists and stuff like that. But like, I will always hopefully have an appetite and a desire and will still be learning from actually just working with clients. I don't think I could ever like leave that behind or else I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be probably teaching in the first place if I was doing that. Whereas I think a lot of, a lot of people are teaching and they're not actually working with people anymore. So working with, working with clients, getting your hands dirty, seeing people and, and online accelerated that massively for me because I had to be way clearer with my words. I had to be way sharper with my eyes, what I was actually seeing, how I was coaching. Cause I couldn't put hands on people to actually or show them the movement. So like online accelerated that for me, working with my clients every day, like, I'll, I'll sit down later on not 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 like actively think about what I learned earlier but like when I go for a walk I'll I'll inevitably like Kate the session I did with Kate earlier will come into my head and actually I did notice something I noticed like this this kind of rotation that's happening as she goes into into uh, knee extension I might even post it on on Instagram and like I just learned something there that for me if I read that in a book it just wouldn't make sense to me because I didn't have the something to apply it to so that's 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 a big part of how I learn I listen to a lot of podcasts and I just kind of mull things over a little bit I try and read a little bit and honestly teaching things on Instagram as well has helped me learn massively as well because you have between like 15 and 60 seconds to try and get some concept across and again when you try and communicate something you realize how much you actually don't have any clarity in your own head around it whatsoever. So 
the, you asked me a, a question at the start around the timeline. The thing that has accelerated my learning faster than anything else is actually trying to teach stuff on Instagram or like talk, just talk about stuff. Half the time it's not teaching it. It's just like was used to be on a story, like talking about something I learned that day or something. So that honestly, it's a, that I don't want people to think like that's been a, some people would think like that's been a fraud. I'm not teaching anything I don't know or like talking about I'm an authority on anything I don't know, but um actually having to communicate something that's been a massive thing and i think i would encourage more people to put their thoughts out there if they're willing to if they're willing to do that and there will be a bit of flack along the way and stuff but actually communicating your your thoughts on something will will accelerate your learning faster than anything else and then apart from that it's just been having having good mentors over the years smart people over the years just learning learning from them yeah 100 i mean when you put stuff out it's helped me to consolidate your knowledge, you know, and obviously because when you put something out to you, you're putting it out there that, that can, that feedback can come, come off, you know, so it's a hundred percent agree with that. And just, just on that too, do, do you have your sounding boards? What I mean by that, so you kind of touched on the word there, mentors, like is, is there, do you have sounding boards where like if you're mulling over a process in your mind and you kind of want to get that feedback, do you have that one or two or three or however many people that you say, listen, I'm, this is this is my thought process and this, well, like what's your thought process or have you thought about this? Do you have those go-tos? Not at the moment, no, but um, but I should and I will. I um, just haven't, just don't have the right people at the moment. Um, but we have a couple of people working with us as well, like Alice and Chris, and then we have our membership site where I teach everything I know, to be honest, and are trying to teach everything I think I know. And like, there is a bit of that there as well, where people are, people will uh, like ask, ask me to clarify something there. And then I have to try and clarify it and stuff. But, um, I should have, I don't have a more of a mentor type of figure in my life at the moment that. I would like to. I just haven't found the right person right now. So I have had them in the past, but not right now. Yeah, no good stuff. But to be honest, I know this might sound a bit weird, but sometimes you know your students are sometimes your teacher. Because as you yeah. said, if you're trying to teach them a concept in your mind and they don't understand it, like, I'm not getting this. They're having to force you to like how to present that sort of that that thought in your head in a different way and again again it helps you to consolidate and, and formulate that in your mind so you're, you're becoming so much more clear on your message and your way of thinking and again and on mm-hmm. your model because there's a guy called jim quick i don't know if you've ever seen him. jim quick is like this he's a memory and recall specialist guy and um, like he's been on tim Perth tim ferris's podcast loads of times and like dave asprey's one and all that but uh it's funny his name too is called jim quick <laughs> Uh, but he spe- yeah, he, spe- he spells it. He spells it K W I K. It's a funny spelling. And um, like he's an Asian American guy. Re- seems to be a lovely fella. But he work. He does a lot of work with uh, Hollywood actors. You know, to so they can memorize their scripts and stuff. But when talking about just mastering a topic and learning, he has this acronym called FAST. F A S T. And the T stands for teach. So like the very last thing in it is if you want to master them, teach it. Like, like if you like imagine like if I said to you, right, David, you have to present on the pelvis and everything on the pelvis a PowerPoint to like a hundred people. And these are like orthopedic doctors who specialize in the hip. Like you would like <laughs> well, can you can you imagine the preparation you would do for that though? Like it was yeah. your European pelvis conference and like you'd learn everything about the pelvic like you would know your pelvic floor muscles, you'd know inlet and outlet and you'd know about sacral base and relative motion. And you'd probably start off with the evolution of like humans and how we became bipedal. You go through the whole thing, you read like through fucking human locomotion books and like everyone fucking quotes uh 
Donald Newman's kinesiology of the neuromuscular system book, like get that book, that's the one you need. And like, you know, probably like Susan Hall's basic biomechanics. You know, you, like, you know, but by the end of that, you'd be like, you would know the fucking mm-hmm. hell, you know, in the biomechanics because you had to get up and teach in front of like people who could call bullshit on you. Like, but so yeah, he, he's got the acronym FAST. It's, what it's, it's really funny. It's, it stands for forget, active state, and teach. And the first, yeah, some people go, forget. Why would you want to forget to learn? And it's actually really clever when you listen to Jim Quick. He says, because a lot of times we go into a topic that we kind of have a little bit of knowledge about. So we're kind of like, I know that already. Yeah. And, and he's like, you don't, you don't, don't be so arrogant. He's like, go into it with a, with a brand new mindset. And that's happened loads of times with me. Like I've gone through periods of my career, like uh, the SMC thing, you know, I get it. And then it's like, what's this thing about velocity based training? And like, and I, I know nothing about that. It's like, oh, I got to reopen this fucking mind up again. Stop being so arrogant. Um, so he's like, forget, go into it with a beginner mindset. He says, active is like, you have to make learning active. Like you have to you, you, passive. You just won't stick. Like, so you got to take tests. You got to say like, right, what did I just read there? What's my interpretation of it? Um, and then the S is state. He's like, you got to be in a good state, sleep well, hydrate it, you're fed. Cause obviously that's going to help to retention. And then the last one is teach is very, very good. Mm-hmm. And the, la- the last thing I'll say too is there's an excellent, excellent book called, um, um, I always get this fucking made to may make it stick, make it stick. And there's made to stick. Yeah, make it stick. It's because it's two books. One's called Made to Stick and Make It Stick. This one's called Make It Stick. I'm very sure it's that one by Peter Brown and two other authors. But it's all about like how to learn, like how to like retain information. And not only it's not only about retaining, because you can you can remember something, but do you understand it? There's a difference between knowing and understanding something. So their whole thing is like you gotta take information in. You got to test yourself on it. And then you have to also put it into your own words. So that shows that you actually comprehend and understand yeah. the information. So it's really, really good. Like but, but the, if you just, the whole tenet of their book is this, like to learn, you have to take a test. It's as simple mm-hmm. as that. Like you think about sport too. How, how do you know you're getting better? You, you, you've, you've a match, you've a game. That's how we know performance. That's, that's how you, you can't, let's, let's go back to skill acquisition. You can't measure learning as it's happening. You can only infer it by performance over time. So it's the same too with like tests. Like people, and see the whole thing is like, there's this kind of like negative con- condemnation with testing. It's kind of like, oh, because everyone should get a partic- participation trophy and like there should be no winners and losers. And they're like, sorry, but testing just shows if you're learning like that's what we're doing it for mm-hmm. and it really expedited my learning so like say with physiology like since 2018 i basically took a physiology textbook and i said i'm going from page one here to what i think it's like a thousand it's like I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm i'm actually i'm actually this has gone on for like since 2018 well probably 19 because it was after i was up it was bill who introduced that book to me so it changed my whole learning process so i've got this textbook it's uh principles of anatomy physiology like i live this book it's it's in and it's, it's a two volume one so the torah and derrickson because people always say what physiology book do you read and like the torah and derrickson it doesn't really matter which one you get just get like people that's another thing people are like what what physiology books like anyone it doesn't matter just start and get one like because the one that you learn from you'll be like this is my favorite physiology book like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's the only one you ever know like yeah but like so that book i basically like so the way i i learn is that so it's basically I take a test, but I, I would read and then I after what I read, I take a mental test and then you go back and say, oh, I missed that. I missed that. I got that wrong. And then you do it again. And then the following day, this is how I do it. The following day, you go back a four page and a pen and you write it all out. Like you write a point by point. Like, so, so you just, that's so like, you know, whatever it was, like the blood vessels or if it was the heart or if it was the lymphatic system immunity and you just do that point by point. So that's what I, and it's just, it's a simple, you just got to take a test, like, and then retain mm-hmm. it and then teach it, obviously. But mm-hmm. yeah, that's very, very good. Yeah. And uh, like, I think what you're thinking with Instagram is that yeah, you're putting stuff out there 
So like one, it's it's forcing you to like have to articulate your message, and then obviously yeah. if if you're getting feedback from people like asking a question, it's it's just going to consolidate your mastery even more. And you get called out very quick if it's bullshit. So you uh you have you have no choice to try and make it. Now look, that's not to say you shouldn't put it out there, but um yeah, teaching that's same with the podcast. My podcast now, I'm trying to like it's a solo podcast I do are so like they're very difficult. I take a question and I try and answer it uh, or two or three questions. And I don't, I, I try not to prep because it's almost like a test. Like I just mm-hmm. open up. I'm like, okay, there's a four questions I might answer today. Write them down my notepad, start the podcast. And a few times halfway through, I've been like thinking, what the fuck am I even saying on this, on this answer here? This is a disaster. And then I listened back to a couple of them and I was like, okay, actually it wasn't as bad as I thought, but in yeah. the moment I was like, okay, not so, not so good here. So, um, the, the podcast is a test. Like Instagram is a test. You're at, you're, you're, I a hundred percent agree with you there on the teach and the testing there. The, they're quite similar. Yeah. Uh, and listen, I'm in the game of doing podcasts 11 years poorly at that. I will say, Oh God, <laughs> if I, I, but I completely resonate. Cause I actually, I, I don't think I've ever listened back to any of my podcasts. Cause sometimes I'm afraid to, not, not that I'm afraid to, I'm like, oh, like, I know exactly what you mean. When you're saying something and you're trying to say it like almost in this perfect way, you're like, you're trying to articulate it just right. And in your mind, you're like, oh, I could have said that better. Mm-hmm. And then you find yourself looping around and saying something like four times. And like, when I hear someone else, like if I heard you do that, I'd be like, oh, Dave, it's okay. I completely got you the first time. You don't have to keep going back around and around. And it's like, but I know that I do that even in my own podcast. Like I've probably even done it here talking about friends and you know, it's the same thing. Cause in my head, I'm like, am I making sense here? I could have said that better. Cause we're afraid, yeah. we're afraid that it wasn't like perfect enough. But again, if you have that sort of more like learning mindset, you're like, listen, I'm either right or I learn. Yeah. Whereas yeah. like, you know, like we're like, Oh, I'm wrong. Like, it's like, I actually, there's one of my, a guy that I really looked up to, I say really, cause he's, he's passed away since I never met him now. I call him an indirect mentor. Cause I read his material, a guy called Joseph Shilton Pierce. He just rolled a load in like child development and spiritual, spiritual mm-hmm. development and really deep thinker and the evolution of the brain and human behavior. And he actually used, <laughs> I thought it's hilarious in the interview, kind of like what you were saying with your podcast and Instagram. He, uh, he was like, yeah, I just used to get up and do presentations. And like, if I didn't really understand something, I would just say it. And I would hope somebody say, that's bullshit. You're wrong. <laughs> and and he, he would say, that's how I learned. I was like, so he was like, when someone said, no, you're wrong about that. He was like, yes. In his head, he was like, yes. He's like, so you t- what's the resource? He was like, it just expedited my learning. He's like, because I, I wanted to be wrong. So I could like, just speed it up. Like, he's like, okay, you're an expert now. All right, tell me what's wrong perfect mm-hmm. so like by like 20 years down the line like he was fucking nailing his process of human behavior like he was saying things like with child development and he's just like blah, blah, blah. and people were like no actually i'm a child psychologist and that's incorrect <laughs> but he was all like okay yeah tell me and he's just like so he wants so like an instagram with you like if you say something like this is ir er and so he goes no actually er something they're not ir and you'd be like oh great thanks you're right yeah. And then like, like nobody's going to remember that like 20 years from now when you're presenting over New Zealand going like, this is actually ER. And you're like, don't I remember that? Because I was wrong that time. And mm-hmm. we learn more from our mistakes and when we, when our defeats and stuff, it, mm-hmm. it, just, it makes us better. It's the whole perspective of mindset. Because again, we're kind of, we grew up with this like, you know, over wrong, it's bad. You know, where it's like, no, no, you learn. It's fucking brilliant. It's you want that. Because, I mean, you don't grow as a person if you don't go to that type of stuff. It's just how it's messaged to us. You know, it's like it's perspective. It's everything. I mean, a deeper conversation we could have offline. I, I was about to say having a couple of beers, but I don't drink. But if we ever were in, in person, a big, deep conversation we could have, 
if you'd be willing to listen because I ramble. But it's like death too. Like we're we're taught like death's this fucking horrendous thing. It's like, well, first of all, we've no idea what happens. And it's just like we've been conditioned to be like, this is terrible. It's like, but like who says it can't be just a celebration? Like I hope like when I pass, I want everyone just to have a fucking unbelievable time. Like, you know what I mean? So yeah, you know, it's just how we're conditioned to. Same with the rain. Oh, it's raining today. It's terrible. It's just like, all right. I mean, if you if you want it to be terrible, you could go out and have an absolute blast in the rain. Like it just it's it's just mindset and perspective. Mindset. Same with exactly. Learning, yep. So that's great about learning. And I pretty much took over the show there. Sorry about that. But it's my show, people. So um, <laughs> but you are the guest. So that was learning. So in in terms then of the biggest lessons you've learned so far, if you like in your career as a practitioner, what, what would you say they've been? Um, I'm terrible at these answers. Biggest lessons I've learned so far. The answer is usually somewhere in the middle. Um, so like between biomechanics and load management and all of this stuff, the answer is usually somewhere in the middle. The answer is usually more obvious than, than we like to believe in terms of like, we don't know the exact reason why, but if you look at someone who's having uh, an issue, uh, a, knee, a knee issue or something like that, and we try and like, some people will be like, this is the exact issue. I know exactly what's wrong. And others will be like, I have no fucking idea what's wrong, blah, blah, blah. The answer is somewhere in the middle. And it's more, it's, it's usually quite obvious. It's like, okay, this person has just done uh, a marathon when they only trained for two weeks for the marathon. Okay. So like low load is the issue here or their tra- their training hasn't changed, but they actually just got a divorce from their wife or something like that. Right. So like, I think that stuff should be fairly in your face. Or I think something that Dave O'Sullivan said before is like, what's the big elephant in the room here that even like that goes for, simple training things like you've been training your glutes your hamstrings and your quads and you haven't done a calf raise ever so like okay maybe we'll just do some calf raises if you have some knee issues so like that's that's probably the biggest lesson that i've learned is like that even though i'm so big into the biomechanics side of things and i love looking at movement it it doesn't mean we need to make the answers more complex. It actually means the answers are are more simple. Usually, it's like just give the body what what it's missing a little bit of. If if their knee is in a tone of external rotation all all the time, we're going to give them a little bit of knee internal rotation. If their hip, if all they have is hip internal rotation, I'm going to give them back a bit of hip external rotation. If they can't, if all they do is supinate their foot, I'm going to give them a little bit of pronation. The answers are usually quite obvious there and most of the time like i just you just tick that box off what's the next thing they're missing what's the next thing so um that kind of applies to everything which is like the i like to sit in the fence i like to be in the middle that goes to like franz bosch's work versus whatever else whoever you want to put on the opposite side of that spectrum like i like i think the answer is usually in the middle um but doesn't mean i i shouldn't or other people shouldn't explore both sides maybe yeah, yeah, really, really good. So it reminds me of, uh, you ever heard the term Alcum's razor? Yeah. Yeah, it reminds me of that too. Like the, usually the, the simplest solution is usually the correct answer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, big time. So you're a, a business owner um, along with your partner. So for for those who are maybe looking to go down that route, would you, what what sort of wisdom would you impart so far? Um. So I went to I went to college and did a business degree. Um, 
And my answer, like a lot of people say, just did that help? I would say the answer is unequivocally, no, it did not help. I learned more in my first month or two months of owning our and we're trying to run our business than I did in four years of of reading about business and stuff in in, in college. So um the answer business is a massive I think it's a massive opportunity for growth and development. I think a lot of in the industry, a lot of people are like afraid to be salesy or like not sales, I don't mean salesy, but like af- almost afraid to say that they do have a a want or uh they're they're interested in earning some money and ha- having a successful business. I'm not particularly interested in money for money's sake. I don't really like nice things. Like I, I like nice things. I don't re- I don't really have an ambition to drive a really fancy car or have a yacht or anything like that. I'm interested in like freedom. So I want to be able to do what I want to do when I want to do it and how I want to do it, who I want to do it with. And money definitely does help with that right it doesn't have to be you can live a very like frugal lifestyle and you don't need to earn that much money but and and i was definitely of that opinion at one stage but when i saw maybe my brother having his first child and i kind of would like to have kids as well that kind of changed my mind a little bit about that i thought i was being a little bit selfish being like okay i don't I don't need money. I just need X amount and I'll be fine. I'll be happy because I can go for a walk on the beach with my dog every day. I kind of changed my mind on that a little bit. Whereas like, actually I'd love to be able to help them travel the world and like travel the world with them and, and be around for them. I heard another, um, I heard another physio at one stage saying like his, his, he started his business and he wants his business to be really successful so that he can make sure that he's there every single day to drop his kids to school and pick them up and not have to like work for someone else and do a eight to 8am to 6pm job or something like that. So like, I think running my business while it is difficult, it does allow us to grow quite a bit and, and provide value to different people and hopefully will give me that freedom to live life on more on my terms rather than maybe working for, for someone else. So I think it's super, super valuable. I don't know that I give a good answer there to advice I would have for other people, but my advice is like, if you think it's for you and it's not for everyone, then probably like jump in there. You don't need to burn the boats. Like some people say like, okay, I'm just going to quit my job and, and start my business tomorrow. But like, like anything like coaching as well, like if you can just jump in, you, you learn on the job much faster, but um, you should hopefully have some kind of backup plan as well. You're not just trying to, you're not just, don't just quit your job, but like you will learn a lot more on the job. You can write business plans all you want, but like when you actually have to just figure things out on the spot as you go, I think that's the best way to learn by far. And, Firstly, I completely, completely resonate with what you just said there in terms of a frugal lifestyle. And you're like, this is all I need. Because I'm in a similar mindset. I'm actually kind of in a similar position now. Like, I've been single all my life. But my sister is having her first child at the moment. And sort of when you mentioned your brother, I was kind of looking at going like, because I don't know, you, you get that friend that says, would you ever like to have kids? And I'm, you never read, well, me personally, I've never really sat back and think about it. But I always envision myself being a dad i don't know mm-hmm. i could and then like there is exactly what you said there like like i always kind of step back and go yeah i, I kind of do live a very selfish lifestyle like i'm just always like looking after me whereas like you know i was like man if you had a kid like obviously that's just gonna rock your universe but you would be like yeah i want them 
I want, and again, this is going to a conversation, but you don't want to hand everything to your kid because, you know, a bit of adversity mm-hmm. and challenge their life is good. It makes, you know, it's good for their character and their building and all that stuff we can have. But you obviously want to give them the, the best sort of opportunity possible. So, yeah, that's another conversation I'd love to have with you at another stage. But in, in just in terms then, kind of just digressing off that point, just with the business then, David, you made a good point there too. Yeah, you don't want to be like, oh, I just quit my job and now I'm an entrepreneur the next day. Like, did you did you have a long-term plan in your head for David Gray Rehab? Like, did like were you still making income doing something else where like, right, I'm building my I'm building my gym, my facility, my rehab clinic while you yeah. were still doing something else? Or like did you and Kira like have this plan sort of long term? Like or like was it was it more sort of organic or was there more of a thought process to it? Um I don't I don't know, Robbie. It's it's a tricky one. I always knew I wanted to teach, right? I always when I was sitting at a lot of them in the, a lot of them courses, looking at people teaching who are like really impressive and really good and charismatic and teaching, like I always knew I wanted to teach. Um so that was always something that I, I I thought would be hopefully in my future. It just came along a bit quicker than expected, mostly just because I just put information out there and people seem to enjoy, some people seem to enjoy the information that I was putting out there and then were willing to pay me for more detail or whatever. So that definitely accelerated that, but mostly it was just like, keeping my eyes open to opportunities that were in front of me, basically. So like when we were before COVID hit, for example, I was working with people in person and I had started working with people online. So people, athletes and non-athletes alike from all over the world, I was doing 10 or 12 sessions probably online a week with them, right? Uh, split 50-50 between in, uh, no, probably more in person and, and a bit about 10 or 12 sessions online a week. When COVID hit, no in person was gone for 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 everyone right so we were still we were still pretty much fine i just opened up more slots online and we were fine the demand was there and then i had basically a ton of coaches and therapists writing to me saying how do you do sessions online with people so i did a webinar to say how to it was literally called how to attract uh treat assess attract assess and treat online clients and we had 300 people in the webinar 300 coaches and therapists in the webinar and we charged them uh i will say we charged them 77 euro each right so we made some good money for that webinar people can do the maths themselves i don't do i don't do public maths um but we did we did well from it and we helped a ton of people actually be confident enough and showed them the system that we kind of use in with online to help people because people were like completely how can I help people it's not going to be as good as it was in person blah 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 and I was just saying it doesn't have to be perfect can you help someone more than out of the position that they are in right now what's their alternative they have chronic knee pain Achilles plantar fasciitis hip issues or they just want to train a bit more like do you think you have the skills to be able to help them improve by 10 percent or 5% this week, or 20% or 50% or whatever? The answer is probably yes, better than what that person is doing on their own at home. Even if it means telling them, go for a walk every day and get a bit better sleep and do a few squats three days a week. 
like yes you probably can so like people didn't feel like they had these skills or the confidence to do that and i think our our webinar did that so we provided value and we got paid for that i did another webinar then then i released a program that i think about ten thousand people around the world have done so like it was just as a result of just forcing myself out of my comfort zone to do that webinar in the first place then people asked for another webinar then people were asking for a program to do on their own and it was just kind of a natural evolution of those things. And I do think I have, uh, I'm not good at the execution of day-to-day things. Kira is much better at that. So Kira kind of like saw my schedule when COVID hit and saw that I was getting really busy and I was doing these webinars and stuff like that. And like, I just turned into an absolute slob because I was just full, full, like pedal to the metal going as hard as possible because that was just the time that was in it and there were the opportunities that were presented. So like she got much better at like the nitty gritty day to day stuff around the admin and all of that stuff. And I have, I think I'm decent with like the vision of the business and hopefully where it'll end up, but all of it is just down to like day to day or week to week and month to month execution of right. What do people want? Can I give them value? And if they can, if I can, they'll just come back and do the next thing. So it just became the webinar, like online clients, then to teaching other people how to do online help online clients with just one webinar, then the programs that people could see half the people are probably gen pop or athletes that did the programs themselves. Half the people are probably coaches and therapists who wanted to see how I wrote the, those like basics programs for, for people, just to, some of the basic movements that I use. Uh, so that, that kind of made sense. Then it was onto the membership site, which we have 600 members in now where I just teach biomechanics every single week uh, or not just biomechanics, like just my thoughts on different movements, rehab, showing people examples of what's, what I'm doing with people. So none of that was necessarily planned out like but all of it was a logical progression kind of like what rehab should be i suppose so we're going to call this show thank you covid yeah covid <laughs> helped us like covid definitely whether we would have got there without covid i don't know but it definitely accelerated things significantly but i think you have to have the ability to like adapt and back yourself a little bit and that covid definitely showed warren buffett's quote i think is i want i don't know if it's his quote but he says it is when when the when the tide goes out you get to see who's swimming naked and a lot of therapists were swimming naked where they were just relying on their hands on never doing rehab never doing movement with people and covid definitely definitely showed that they were swimming naked they didn't have any ability to help to coach movement to 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 um give people exercises that made sense to them to communicate even they were just relying on their hands and a lot of them were swimming naked and and i think that's force a lot of people to get a lot better great stuff it won't keep you too much longer because even myself now i to be i can go till three but um what do you do for david so what do you do to unwind um i'm just back from italy uh we had a nice little holiday there we had our i've had we've had a mad summer because we got married and we had a friend's wedding in italy there so we we're in rome we were in their wedding then was north of rome and then we were in the amalfi coast um but yeah day to day like this morning i had i think three clients then this podcast but before that i went out to the beach and walked on the beach and had a little swim with uh with roxy our dog for probably an hour like so i'm getting way better for two years over covid what i did for david was not much except for not train very much get a bit fatter and like just just be out of balance for a while so i'm getting much much better at that um because i identified as like i'm a person who plays sport 
for so long and then when I wasn't playing sport anymore it was just like right I'll just try and be better at the at the business now and that movement and stuff like that but that that wasn't like it wasn't healthy like you know so I trying to just enjoying just enjoying re- relaxing more and living life a bit more and traveling around a little bit and having walks so I'm a fairly simple man but for a while there I wasn't even doing that very similar to myself yeah, I'm a definitely a walker we get our external rotation expand when we go outside yeah 100%. but uh just following on from that and again you can go into much detail as you want again this is nearly I, I like hearing these questions this is why i ask them what what is your typical day then like what's what time do you rise do, do you have like a sort of i know you're kind of you were saying you're this was your word now you said you're a bit of a slob mm-hmm. um and i i get I, I think you mean by just like your general like how you were scheduling your day like kind of type thing mm-hmm. i don't i don't think you meant like as in like there's pizza boxes all over the place <laughs> but maybe there was maybe it's, there is sometimes it's, it's your it's your facility in house man uh but like so what, what what's your your typical sort of day look like now i mean do you have a standard like rise time and do you have like a nighttime routine and you know so your times you schedule clients and your sort of online work yeah so um yeah kira has made me much much better with that so I get up at around seven and I try to do a, a walk first thing if I can. So I get dressed, sit down for five or 10 minutes or whatever. I do I do check my phone. I probably shouldn't. I'd rather I didn't. But um, at the moment, I, st- I still do. It's just a bad habit probably. But I go for a walk. I find like I will win my day. I don't really like that phrase, but like my day will go much better if I go for a walk in the morning rather than just getting like straight into work and all this stuff. So. I usually go for like sometimes a half an hour walk. Sometimes it will turn into a, a run. Um, just like jog for a couple of kilometers or walk for a kilometer, jog for a kilometer, walk for a kilometer, jog for a kilometer back or something like that. I like to get my heart rate up a little bit if I can, but not not every morning, just have a walk. Then I come out to the gym and I'll either see online clients or in-person clients. That will be at about... I usually try and have my first client at 10 because I like to get it just a little bit of work done before. So like if there's emails or something like that, I like to get the inbox cleared out if I can. So I'm try- I'm down to seeing about between three and five clients a day. I w- if it's online, I won't, I will try not to see more than three clients online because my eyes get very sore and I'm sitting down at the computer for too long. So somewhere between three or five clients. Um, closer to maybe three most days now because so uh, today for instance then i have the podcast i don't have that every day but i um i will have to do a video now for our member site which will be released tomorrow so i think i'm going to do that on supination mechanics and looking at a couple of movements there so like there'll usually be a, a short video every day or because I might put up something on Instagram or something like that or whatever. So like half an hour to an hour between either an Instagram post or uh, not, not every day, but most days. Then I'll go for another walk with Kira or something like that or, or whatever. Um, get dinner, watch Love Island up until recently and then go to bed. I don't have a nighttime routine. I just try and turn off the telly at around 10 o'clock into bed, uh, sometimes a bit later and uh read a book for in bed for about 20 minutes to fall asleep would you classify yourself as a larker now what's a larker a, a lark a lark is like an early riser so a larker l they're like your chronotypes like i'm a lark i'm a i'm a, like a 5 a.m i just wake up 
and like no, I, I'm the opposite. Yeah, you're you're an L of thinking that. Yeah, yeah. Like when it when it gets to like eight p.m., I'm gone. Like I'm a zombie. I'm the opposite. If yeah. if my my like biggest thing, I, I I think I said this recently in a newsletter or something. I can't remember. Maybe I didn't. I was like, if for 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 my whole life, as long as I can remember, I'm trying to get myself to get up early, and I never could. Ever, I always snooze my alarm. I always did, and now for the first time ever, which is going on about four or five months now, I don't press snooze anymore, and it's the biggest win I've had in my life is getting up and going for a walk by far. Yeah, well, a lot of that is circadian rhythm and sleep hygiene. So, like, if you're looking at technology, you're there's like there's a whole you know the whole hormonal cascade you know, so you're off you're off putting melatonin so you, you watch you delay your sleep onset you push you so you're basically what you actually do with that is you cause you cause a thing called social jet lag you're essentially causing jet lag by by exposing light so inappropriate light so when you're getting blue light at night you probably heard this stuff already but you know blue light at night it delays you know melatonin and then that just delays the whole sleep cascade and stuff like that um and when melatonin is needed for antioxidant properties but it's the hormone of sleep and all like that but when you're looking at screen you're just you're just delaying your mm-hmm. sleep onset and so that was because that was always one of my classic things asking when i used to deal a lot more clients in terms of health issues you know the classic thing was the snooze the snooze, the snooze alarm is just like it's like your body's saying nah 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 pal you you fucked up last night and i need more i need more here and so that's why the, the walk in the morning it's it's probably more than like it's resetting your clock because uh, it, it's funny when you when you when some, when people ask like what's one of the best things I could do for sleep and you're like get up and see the sun in the morning because yes. that that sets your clock for bed that night you're resetting your clock so a.m. sunlight is very important to reset your circadian clock because we have two basic clock systems in our body we have our central primary clock so your central clock is it's in the place in your hypothalamus called your super chiasmatic nucleus i also have to stumble on that scn for short that's your your um central clock and that regulates like everything in your body like that's like that's the master clock but then in all of your peripheral tissues so skeletal muscle liver pancreas digestive system you've got what are called peripheral clocks and they have their own clock systems that they go on and if there's a massive discrepancy between those so for instance eating meals at the wrong time so there's, there's a whole branch of science now called chrononutrition too like and it's it's still in its kind of infancy but all of the research and data coming up from chrononutrition is like as humans we're more set up to taking the majority of our energy in terms of calories that is in the earlier phases of the day when it's light so like when you eat like big boluses of food at night time it, it that, that that can actually also it's called a circadian disruptor like light is light at night is a circadian disruptor. You're just disrupting your circadian rhythm and it all puts your whole sleep rhythm. That's why you need the snooze clock in the morning. But eating massive meals at night too is also a circadian disruptor because mm-hmm. your digestive system is actually winding down in the later phases of the day. And it's, it's just like, so like your your whole metabolic system is not as efficient at digesting and breaking up food in later phases of the day than it is at the earlier phases of the day. So actually how you metabolize and partition nutrients changes across the 24-hour clock as well or 24-hour mm. phase of the day. And that can actually shift your, that can actually shift your clock. That can cause like a social jet lag effect as well. Like that's why when you are traveling, let's say when you go to America now, the quickest things you can do to get your clock as quick as you can to California time or Florida time is by light 
and by the time of your meals like you're trying to get onto their light schedule and their meal times as quick as you can so like this is breakfast this is midday this is my mid you know this is dinner time or whatever and then the yeah. light exposures you get and you can manipulate all that with like the glasses you know yeah. so stuff like that but yeah like people who like really struggle to get up in the morning it's just it's just a circadian rhythm problem yeah. and, and i just, tried to i tried to fix that for years with nighttime routines and what I, and it never maybe because i never stuck to it that well but what fixed it was just be stubborn about getting up for like a week in a row and then guess what at night time i was getting tired or earlier so it was just getting up in the morning so that was the cycle that worked rather than trying to fix my nighttime routine so uh that's been ma- that's when i have someone who's like you know chronic pain like where it's just just feels like it's a bit of everything feels not not so nice for them i get them to walk more i get them to sleep a bit better and um I get them to make sure they're walking in, in nature if possible. And that's just a massive like reset for them. And that then not to say that that's like the fix for everything, but like peripheral vision, eyes up, seeing the light. Like I look at that from a, like opening your worldview and expansion and stuff like that. But there's obviously all this light, the light side of it and circadian rhythm side of it, which is massive as well. So I think walking and light exposure are, two like of the easiest wins that that you could get for people and i don't even understand it that well yeah i mean circadian biology like because it's it's an area of mine i don't know if you heard in my other podcast like that's an area that like uh, i just i've always been fascinated and i've always researched it to a, a fairly extensive degree like the now the real nitty-gritty of it when you get down to like the actual enzymes and stuff like i still wouldn't be able to give a presentation on that now to a room full of experts but the reason why I have a bias with sleep and circadian rhythm is because it profoundly changed my health. Because similar to yourself, like uh, I was just having serious like fatigue issues when I was like 23 at the time. Like, and I was like, this is fucking bollocks. I'm 23 years old. What's going on? And it was just basically what the big change I made. I was literally like looking at my laptop like up to midnight, like blaring blue light in my eye. And then, mm-hmm. but I was still like in my head, I'm like, oh, but I'm I'm asleep at 12 and I get up at seven. Like that's seven hours. Like you know what I mean? I'm conked out. Uh, so like in my mind i'm getting seven good hours there but i'd be bollocks in the morning and then when i learned about like oh circadian rhythms and you know okay you want blue light in the morning so by going out and by going out into the sun or natural light and you're getting more of that blue light exposure but at night you don't want that you want more red light so decrease the light setting and all that and just when i made that fix like the difference was unbelievable and i said this on a numerous other podcasts i'll always remember this it was like two i used to always have the classic crash and midday crash i used to have and i just feel terrible and i was always having this headache too like and basically what that headache was was blood sugar was high blood sugar because another thing you'll find in the morning like a lot of people if people say like uh i've no appetite in the morning there's two things going on there they're either going to bed way too late and they're around a load of light before they went to bed or else they're eating way too close to their bedtime and they're eating their mm-hmm. main meal too close so of course you're not gonna be hungry first thing in the morning um so like that's again that's just a, that's the whole circadian delay but another thing too is that they they might complain of having like a banging headache and i feel like nausea they've got nausea the kind of headache and it's like if you were to take their blood glucose it's like your fucking blood sugar is rocket high here and a lot of that yeah. too is if you eat too late at night too you get your your blood sugar stays up and another thing you're doing too when you eat at night you're elevating your body temperature your core body temperature because it's trying to digest this food and at mm-hmm. nighttime your body temperature should be going down so that you can go sleep because your core temperature is meant to cool so there's, there's loads of those things but i can remember when i fixed my sleep david it was like that 2 p.m and like usually I'm like oh here comes the crash like i usually feel like shit and i remember i was i literally i i, I can always remember i remember where i was i was walking out of a dark station from condra 
And for some reason, I don't know why I said this to myself, but this is, this is how profound this whole cleaning my sleep up with circadian rhythms was. I remember saying like, this must be what it's like to be on cocaine. <laughs> and I don't know why I said that, like, because I've never taken cocaine, but I was just high as a kite at the energy I had. And just from that day, I said, I'm never sacrificing my sleep again. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, now, again, this kind of goes back to our inner discussion on like being addictive. Like I, I almost got to like, it, it, it's, it's really funny because sleep and like nutrition, it's it's that, like I've had this conversation with Danny Lennon too. It's like, we're going back to this line again of like okay there is a line with nutrition and sleep where you do need to have it to such a proficient level that okay that box is checked now but if you start to do any more now it's becoming a stressor it's like it's like this i've listened to dan harris who has that podcast 10 percent happier and he's into meditation and he spoke about like meditation actually started to fucking derail his life yeah like, so it was like okay here's his life and it, it was shit and he was almost suicidal then he found meditation and he's like oh it was unbelievable it rescued me it was the greatest time of my life and then i got to this certain level where he's like no it's a fucking stressor and i have to do for two hours a day and then it became like a, de- a detriment again so it's really it's this dynamic emergent process in life again again go back to the word emergent everything's emergent because everything is different there's no two things that are the same in life ever because everything's just always ha- like happen it's emerging it's like something that something that was beneficial at one point in your life can actually be your downfall at another period in your life you see this all the time so if we look at it from a behavioral standpoint a certain behavioral thing you did as a kid because like there was a row in your family environment like let's say you you went into your room and you you hid away and you you got isolated that was a survival strategy that that served you well as a kid in that environment. But as you grew up as an adult and you got into a relationship with someone, that didn't serve that relationship well because that person's like, "What's wrong? Tell me. I need to know." Like you just you go in because that's all you knew. That would mm-hmm. and that strategy worked when you were younger, but it's now it's it's a detriment now in your adult relationship later in life. A nutritional example is, I went vegan and for two years I was unreal. My skin was clear. My energy was great. But then after two years, like my B12 went down. I started to lose muscle mass. I started getting these neurological symptoms. So it's just like, this happens all the time. And we go back to our training on strength. It's like, when I started training, when I got strong, I got my acceleration went up, my performance went up. So, and then they're like, so strength is good. It's like, and then, but it's like, yeah, but then I got to a level where it's like, okay, that bucket is full now. It's not going to get you any further. To go further, we have to do a few things here. We got to retain that and we got to put our energy now into more specific things more things that have transferred just like we spoke about earlier on mm-hmm. and it's just that as humans like we can make this very a equals b and it's like yeah a equals b is what you needed for now but now we need to go to b equals c and c equals d to continue in this sort of process mm-hmm. so it's uh yeah it's 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 uh it's interesting stuff for me sorry i'm rambling again no lot going on there same in movements you look at someone who's like you hurt your knee, guess what? I'm going to load heavier on into the other leg. Same, like that, that, has, that strategy, that compensation has helped you continue to move. And that is, that helps athletes continue to play their sport. But this becomes an issue when I, I'm compensating away from one injury and now I have like a detour route and now I get another injury. Now I have an ankle injury and now I need to kind of compensate away from that a little bit. And then something else happens and, and my variability goes down by a ton. And now I just have like this small little path that I can go down and anything outside of that path is not really available to me anymore. So it's the same, it's the same with everything. And that's why 
I think in rehab and movement and all the stuff that you're saying, a lot of things are quite obvious, which is like comes back to what are you missing in your life or your movement? If I'm not going to, I'm not going to go and give someone a very specific biomechanical movement. If they have chronic back pain, if they are getting one hour sleep a night, I'm going to probably just tell them, I might give them a movement just so like, it's almost like tricking them into doing it. But I'm, I'm like, do not come back and see me if you're not if you're not actually trying to get any sleep. So the, a lot of I think a lot of these things are actually quite quite obvious when we think about it. And our grandparents probably talked about a lot of that stuff as well. Yeah, well I could talk about sleep and circadian rhythms for a long time, but uh, yeah, circadian biology is fascinating, and it's it's a it's an area where I think just you know if people just had a little more education. And in fairness, it is getting better too because I remember ten years ago, like I was telling people about blue light in their phones and their screens, and people were like, "What are you talking about? Blue? Mm-hmm. What, where's this blue light you're talking about?" I'm like, "Well, you don't really see it. Like it's in the vi- you know, even though they call it the visible spectrum, and we don't see it. But anyway, but it's like you know, it's blue wavelength, like, but you don't see it. Like, and they're just like, "Yeah, that's all woo." And then like like even my dad like two years ago was like, "Oh, here this like light at night's really bad." He's like, "Yeah, how about that?" <laughs> like it was funny because when Matthew Walker was on Joe Rogan's podcast, like everyone's like, "Do you hear about this thing? Like you sleep for eight hours. It's brilliant." So yeah about that but like as you said earlier on like you're walking out early in the morning now and you're like i don't really understand like the mechanisms but like i know it's good for you and it's like exactly like a lion or a tiger don't need to be told like what to eat or what time to go to bed they just like they don't know that but they just they just mm-hmm. intuitively know it you know but w- one thing just to wrap up on that is like whenever so- i got this from paul check so credit to paul checking as i know and, and paul has some fucking crazy stuff too um, but what uh, he said this one thing one time, and it's something I go back to all the time since I've heard it, because I think it, it just has a lot of, it resonates well with me. And I think there's, I mean, we, we could, I, I'm always cautious to use the word truth because what is truth, but I'm just going to use that for now. Like it, it seems to have a lot of truth around it. He's like, there's six key areas in your life that if you, if you get right for the most part, you, you're going to live a pretty decent life. And he's like, breathing, hydration, sleep, nutrition movement and thinking he's like if you could do six so thinking could be like meditative work whatever you want to put it out but to really think deeply about things so some people always think that what do you mean by thinking is the last one but he's like if you get those six areas so he's his whole thing is like if something's not good he looks at those six areas he's like all right mm-hmm. so tell me like let's have a look here breathing because you know we, we, there's a whole mechanical aspect but then there's a whole the, the chemistry aspect the ph levels and like so many people are in respiratory alkalosis because they're hyperventilators because they're always stressed out like you ever hear like when people who are stressed about their day, like, and then we yeah. went and it's like, you need to just exhale there. Chill. <laughs> uh, you need, you need some more carbon dioxide in that system. Um, and then like hydration's a huge one. Like, I mean, so many people like, so I, I'm not messing and I'm not coaching anymore. Like when I used to coach back in the day, but the amount of people that used to have banging headaches mm-hmm. and I'd be like, how much water do you drink? And they're like, I don't well, half a glass a day. I'm like, let's bring that to a liter. Yeah, and the amount of times people come back and say, "Yeah, I'm not really getting headaches anymore. My migraines are getting better." I'm like, "How?" B-? Now, listen, I'm not because someone could have a fucking tumor in their brain, so I'm not saying that water is. But you know, some it goes back to Alcum's razor type thing. You know, mm-hmm. maybe you just need to drink some water, and then again, like nutrition and everything else. Because another thing too, when I used to get a lot of GA players too, and they would have fatigue issues, you know. So, and the, the three things I'd always come back to were, right, your sleep, your nutrition, and your hydration. Tell me about, like, why aren't you recovering? Why are you tired all the time? And a lot of time was they were chronically underfeeding themselves because that's one thing with social media is that we're, like, the vast majority of stuff on social media in terms of 
fitness type stuff. You're like, it's all to do with fat loss mm-hmm. and you know, body image. So like you're seeing these lads like, no, no, you're feeling for performance. Yeah. They're trying to market to Margaret who can't lose her bleeding gut. And actually it probably is because she's compressed up top and fucking her guts are going down there. That's another part of that we could talk about. That she has a little fucking muffin top going on as long as, as, as well as taking in too many calories. But, uh, you know, so they're, they're, it goes back to strategy. They're taking a strategy for this, for fat loss, and trying to put that into performance. Because I've had this conversation too with people. I'm like, you're basically fueling for four things or eating nutrition for four things, hypertrophy, fat loss, performance, or health and wellness. It's like, you don't want to take one of those four strategies and put it into the other. Like, you don't want to eat for health and wellness for sport performance. Because that happened in the CrossFit community a few years ago. They were all eating the fucking paleo diet. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. And none of them were eating carbohydrates to fuel a carbohydrate-dominant sport. And they're all, like, dying. So the same with these guy players who come to me. They were like, I'm fatigued all the time. I'm like, all right, sleep. Yeah. Are you drinking water? And what's your total caloric intake? And it's just like, you'd see that. And Yeah. So those six areas from, from Czech, I always kind of go back to. Yeah. It's interesting. The same in, same in rehab, actually. The first thing a GA player or a lot of athletes, I've done it myself, you're, you're injured, you're, so you're not training as hard, guess what they do? Lower their calories. And actually, I'd, I'd nearly push them to up their calories a little bit because your body's trying to recover, it's trying to heal this tissue. So we need you to eat maybe a little bit more. If you put on a little bit of weight, who cares? You'll lose it within the first week when you get back training. But straight away, the, the impulse is to, to lower your calories, which is a bad idea if you're injured. Just wrapping up here, your top resources, David. Uh, they, 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 for they, what? They can be anything. So, I mean, well, with that, I know it's a very open-ended question, but I suppose to make it more specific, if we put it towards a coach or a practitioner, so an SNC or or a rehabilitation specialist or someone who's in the rehabilitation world, mm-hmm. um, just with the resources, they can be book, podcast, course, person, or any of those combined. Uh, I, I suppose I'll name out some people then. So I think Gary Ward is is phenomenal if you're interested in like gait and looking at what the foot is doing, walking gait. I think Dave O'Sullivan is excellent from the rehab kind of side of things and um, kind of how to plan a rehab, how, how to plan, excuse me, plan and rehab and communicate with clients. I think he's taken, he's done a really good job with that. Um, I think I like PRI. I wouldn't go too far down that rabbit hole because I think people can get neurotic about the breathing stuff, but you should at least have an appreciation that the rib cage actually does exist. Um, a lot of SSE coaches just don't. It's a it's thoracic spine. That's what they know of. And the, and the rib cage just is this other chunk of what they think maybe it's one bone or something like that. There's a huge amount of joints there. It does exist. And PRI teaches you a little bit about that. Um, Franz Bosch from the coordinative side of things transfer training motor control i think his book strength training and coordination which actually you did a podcast on him with with him on that i think um i think that's a phenomenal book it will probably take a couple of reads or you'll be you'll be i have to read it slow and go through it but it will make you question things and even if you're you come out if the answer you come out with is still I still think I like me myself. I have I have the right answers here. That's fine, but it will definitely make you question things. So Gary, Franz, Dave, I think um, Bill Hartman is very good. I think the old like Gary Gray stuff is very very good. The 3D maps are like simple stuff. You don't need to overcomplicate things. Um, for Kashansky, for the plyometrics, like 
I think that's the most under-trained thing in rehab and performance is actually getting people good hopping on one foot. Um, it's kind of top of mind at the moment because for my workshops, I'm just finishing off my plyometric session, hopefully today or tomorrow, or my plyometric kind of, uh, what would you call it, like progression or something like that, yielding and stiff um, or yielding and overcoming. So that's top of mind. I just think it's so under-trained. So I think like... Matt McInnes Watson is actually quite good. He's plus plyos on Instagram and um, I did a podcast with him as well. He's kind of a, a younger guy who's just doing a lot of good work in the plyometric world. So I would look into him. And um, the good thing about all these people is like they have different resources. So like podcasts that you can, podcasts are phenomenal. You can just go in, type someone's name into Spotify and find all the podcasts they did. And they could be a world expert on something. And you can just go for a walk and listen to a world expert talking about something. It is, there is no excuse to be dumb anymore. It's, it's, it's a phenomenal resource. So um, there are lots of people I think that are there, are there to, to learn from and, really like a nice mix of people and very very smart people shock method that's what Verkashansky called it mm-hmm. he, he actually hated the word plyometrics yeah um but he was very strict on like i think what a like what a plyometric movement was and he was a phenomenal coach even if i don't know maybe some maybe some people don't agree with some of the stuff or whatever i don't know but like he was just, he was ahead of his time definitely yeah, yeah. His his later manuals are quite the ones that Joseph Johnson sells on Ultimate Athlete Concepts, and the ones that he done with Natalia, his daughter. Like the, the later ones are good. They're mm-hmm. very good books. I have those actually. The special strength training manual, the special strength training manual for coaches. The yeah. the, the, the second edition of that was very good. The gr- the, the gray one with the red writing on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you use uh, it's funny when I was listening to your podcast, I was actually like his last question is actually better than mine. So you were like three people that you could learn that you could learn from uh, or be on an island with for a week to learn from. I was like, that's much better than a dinner because <laughs> my one's my one's the five people for dinner. And I was like, yeah, dinner's only like this like one, two hour thing or a couple of hours. Um, and I was like, being on an island for weeks is actually a much better way to put it. So I'll flip your question on you. So if you <laughs> if you could spend a week with three people, you can be on an island if you want, but who would those three people be? Who would you love to learn for learn from for a week? fucking i should know my own answer to this i answered this for one one of my podcasts i answered one person and i said um tony robbins the reason i said tony robbins is because in rehab mindset is so important and he seems to be a person that has the ability to flip someone's mindset quicker than anyone else that i know of now again maybe some of the stuff is a little bit i don't know like a little bit markety or salesy or whatever, but he does definitely does have like an ability to change the energy that someone is feeling. So um, it would be interesting to listen to him. I would also probably bring Tiger Woods because he's an athlete. He probably has like the best story ever out of any athlete ever, or one of the best anyway. He's just like the, maybe the most famous, that one of the most famous athletes ever, one of the most talented athletes ever has one of the biggest meltdowns ever and like seems to have come back and be like a, actually a really cool person now compared to what he where he was so i would like to bring him because i would like to firstly maybe see tony robbins talking to him and secondly i would love to rehab tiger i would just see him walking like on the golf course i'm like oh i fucking now look fair enough I t- i'm sure his coaches did a brilliant job to get him back there but i'd love to do some work with him because i think we could uh i think we could make some serious gains there so that could um 
that could be good. Um, third person. Um, let me see. Maybe like Marcus Aurelius or someone like that. He's uh, I've kind of gotten into the stoic stuff just a little bit. Like I was turned off it a little bit when Tim Ferriss was like really like kind of shoving it down people's throats a, a few years ago. Even though I do like Tim, but um, sometimes now I go for a walk and listen to Ryan Ryan Holiday's podcast called The Daily Stoic, and he just reads like a five minute uh stoic stoic reading or something every day and i'm really not really into that stuff but actually it really relaxed me when i'm going for my walks it's like marcus aurelius had this problem back whatever many years ago and this is what he said about it and i was like oh that was interesting so um and i was also just in rome and kind of saw statues and stuff of him so um he was he spent his life writing in a book thinking that no one was ever going to read it and like still did it anyway and that's like he had, he was one of the most powerful men in the world and he seemed to be a really good guy with lots lots of good lots of wisdom so i think he could be good great stuff listen this has been brilliant absolutely brilliant uh it's funny i don't know about you but when when i have podcasts like when, when i know i'm doing a podcast interview and i'm out my morning walk and i'm just mulling over things and kind of like you know, I'm projecting into the future of like questions I'll ask or how the conversation will go. This definitely far exceeded what I was hoping for. So I really, really appreciate it. I really appreciate your time, man. It was a phenomenal conversation and I'd love to continue this conversation, you know, offline or in further podcasts and definitely stay, um, stay connected. Just again, for listeners, where can they find out more about you? What have you got to offer? What's coming up? Any workshops in, in Ireland? Because I know there's two in America. So, and what's like, what's the, the, the kind of the future plans now for for david gray rehab um so we're going to america we're going to go california and florida and then we're going to go to malmo in sweden i think that's november then we have melbourne and sydney in february i think and we're putting together our workshop schedule for next year so like that's kind of our next big thing is I taught a work. I taught a private workshop in 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 my gym here in Watford uh, earlier on this year. That was just available for members of that were members of the community. It was just a one day one, and it was kind of like a teaser for. No, sorry, it wasn't a teaser. It was kind of like a me to test some of the information that I'm teaching in these workshops and see how it went down. And then all these ones are going to be weekend ones. So there will be a probably a workshop in Ireland, somewhere in Ireland. Probably not this year, might be running out of time, but definitely next year, I would say. Um, and the workshop I'm teaching at the moment is just a two-day lower limb biomechanics rehab and performance workshop. That's what I've, I just tried to teach. I, I If I try and teach upper limb in that weekend again, it'll get messy. And I just want to be able to go into enough detail. I, and I tried to do it, like kind of tried to do it in one day in our own uh, workshop and I didn't have enough time to go into as much detail as I wanted. So I need to do two days. Um, so apart from that, we have programs and stuff which people can check out. There's kind of two ones that people sometimes start with, Lower Body Basics 1, which is kind of getting a bit old now. Like I wrote it and filmed it in COVID. Like it's, but it shows a lot of the movements that I do, do with clients when I first meet them and I kind of wrote that or yeah, I kind of wrote that with, with that in mind where it's just like, okay, I can't, I'm not going to be with you here, but like 
for most lower limb issues, I'd like, I think of rehab as like skill development. Like these are the skills that I want to teach people. Tick, 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 all different skills. So I wrote lower body basics with mind with like, okay, can I teach them the scale of like getting their pelvis, in, like moving their pelvis? Can I teach them the scale of how to like inhale and exhale in certain positions so they get some expansion? Can I teach them the scale of uh, co-contractions around knee joint and the ankle joint can I teach them the skill of being able to transition a little bit from heel to midfoot to forefoot in the gait cycle those type of things and then there's a lot of like very hard strength stuff in there as well um, which has humbled quite a bit of people and then we have an upper body version of that and then I don't recommend people come into the membership site until they've done some of the programs because it kind of just gives you a, it gives you a, like a uh, it gives you a, the programs give you a very quick practical look at like what we're doing and and when people think I'm like a biomechanicsy person they think that we're not loading people and then they do lower body basics one and they try to do like some of our hamstring work and they realize that they can't do any of it so they realize there's an intersection between like biomechanics and movement and strength and all that and we can actually and mobility and we can actually have it all really if we're smart smart with it so um basically people if they're interested they should just um have a look on instagram and just come on david gray rehab g-r-e-y and um if they like if they like kind of some of the stuff i'm saying then they might go from there and if they don't then they'll either leave or be a troll which is fine too yeah i'll definitely i'll link all that up into the show notes so uh this is phenomenal stuff um really appreciate everything you're doing i mean you're only trying to better our profession in every way so uh from uh one peer in the field to another i really appreciate it so thanks for everything david thanks robbie and um i have to say i know i said this offline to you before but like you were one of the first probably the first podcast that i listened to in the industry a long time ago so um i think you've done a phenomenal job too i have so much respect for people who have actually continued to do podcasts for longer than we're doing ours like six months now and uh it's not easy it's not easy and um you've done you've you've had so many good people on so many good conversations that i've definitely learned a lot from so thank you for that and thank you for inviting me on i really appreciate it 11 years baby Actually, <laughs> and one one final thing because i'd imagine he, he'll listen to this because you you were the guest just for joel smith if he's listening this is for you you fucker 30 <laughs> 33 <laughs> he, gi- he gives me shit for 33 I oh yeah him. i think he, he i think he hit me with that as well one time so yeah he, he said it to you your very first interview with him he goes so david uh say 33 and he said it and he goes yeah you and robbie should get together and you were like, <laughs> and it was funny because i could just kind of i don't know I, I i could be making this up but in my head it was almost as if i was putting myself in your brain and you were just like yeah okay whatever just yeah on. it's just like joel just the two irish people that he knows he just had to put them put them together he presumed that we were cousins or something but so. it's funny i think uh what 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 have i uh this i'm a wrap up on this i promise i'm nearly sure it was patrick ward but somebody said to me they send the link with you uh, and this is actually this is this is back near just as you were kind of getting out in line and someone said do you know david gray and i was like uh i was like i've heard of him but i don't really know him that well and this one goes you sound exactly like him <laughs> and then i was just like david's from waterford <laughs> yeah it's just, uh, yeah, just the way we say 33, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Dave, really appreciate it. And for everyone listening, make sure you check out his website. Again, it'll all be linked up in the show notes. And if you are in California, Florida, Malmo, Sweden, I didn't know about that one, and then Australia, which I believe you already have, because I heard in one of your latest podcasts, you've got like a certain amount of people who have already signed up for that. I think we've sold over half the tickets for Sydney. But I lived in Sydney a few, for a few years, so like I seem to have, I, I know some people there, so. Yeah. Still. Um, it's like yeah. six months away and it's still half so for people who are in those areas check them out 
and um, yeah definitely check them out and I'll have them linked up in the show notes but until next time for everyone listening take care be well and stay strong Thank you.